Aren't TV movies fun? Join Amanda, Dan, and Nate as they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies on the Made-for-TV Mayhem Show. put on your happy face because tonight donna martin graduates i'm so excited we're here to discuss tori spelling one of my favorite tv movie queens of the 90s now you might be surprised or not surprised to hear that she doesn't like being called a tv movie queen but let's face it the 90s belonged to tori they didn't belong to shannon even though i love shannon they belonged to tori so we're here tonight to discuss two of her uh films one is pretty iconic the other one is my favorite but I don't know how iconic it is, but it's really fun, and I hope people will want to seek it out if they haven't seen it yet after this episode. So we're going to discuss A Friend to Die For, which is probably better known as Death of a Cheerleader, which was its um, syndicated and video title. Uh, and we're also going to be discussing Co-Ed Call Girl, which is, like, the best movie ever. So um, let me go ahead and let's get started, and I'll introduce my co-host, Dan. Hey. Hey, I, I come not to bury Tori, but to praise her. And here Yay! I am. Here we, here we here we are with the Tory party, and uh, I'm I'm I am all set to discuss. I'm sitting down. I've got notes. They're written in green, and they're good to go. I'm really excited because you have not really seen too much in the way of Tory TV, have you? Uh, you know what? The, the the closest I have is that in the my first year of college, um, I would go to the TV room in Holmes Hall and watch um, sort of, and I put watch in quotes. Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place uh, because that's where you met the ladies. And so I don't know how much I actually watched of those two shows, but I certainly had them on uh, for a while. And I, I remember thinking Tori was a fine addition to the, the cast, but um, I, I was really kind of chatting with ladies. <laughs> you know, 90210 and Melrose Place were actually a really interesting sort of community uh thing that happened in the 90s because my friends and I used to get together and these are different groups of friends so for years I worked at a record store and at the time I think Melrose Place was just getting started and 90210 was sort of in its heyday and we would get together and watch those and then I got a job at a bookstore and then my friends at the bookstore I think it was Wednesday nights Melrose Place was on I can't remember maybe it was Tuesdays and after work uh, we got off at midnight and one of my friends taped it and we would go to her house nice. and we would watch of uh, them there. And I kind of fell off of 90210, honestly, after Brenda left, because I really like Tori Spelling's character. Matter of fact, Donna Martin was probably one of the better characters on there. Um, and David Silver, of course, who could forget uh, David Silver. But that show was really to me about Brenda and Dylan. And so when they broke up and she went to wherever she went, I kind of lost interest in it. Now Melrose place, I followed pretty much the whole way through, I think. Um, me too. 
Yes, so good. Um, but uh, Tori, in the in her heyday back then, she kind of ventured into TV movies and became very iconic in a couple of different roles. And we'll talk a little bit about some of her other movies. I know um, Nate has seen at least one of these before because he's a huge, huge fan of Death of a Cheerleader and will be introducing this. So, hey, Nate, are you excited about tonight? I'm very excited. You're very excited. Your voice got lower for that. Yeah, I'm up. Uh trying to put on my best uh you know my made for tv movie voice here. <laughs> now have you had you seen co-ed call girl no this is my first time watching it oh fun so i don't know if you're gonna make it through the whole thing but we may have to do two five minutes with you um in case you have to leave early because i'd love to hear your thoughts on it uh okay um and Absolutely. i have lots and lots and lots to say about it more than i should probably ever say about any movie but um so uh, we're gonna go ahead the, we actually have a five minutes with nate so nate watched uh our romance movies that we did uh last time which was anatomy of a seduction and um in love with an older woman but he really 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 wants to concentrate on anatomy of a seduction and now it's time for five minutes with nate oh i love my that the announcer voice Say that first off. Um, I watched uh, Anatomy of a Seduction, um, and I'd never seen it before, and I was so thrilled to see Susan Flannery because I'm a big, bold, and beautiful fan. I watched it for probably over a decade um, while she was on that show. Now, she was always playing the character I love to hate on that show, but I mean, it it was a lot of fun watching her on there, and it was interesting to watch her on here because... You know, her character on here, I mean, is a little different, but I still felt she was a very strong character. You know, I liked um, the way that, you know, she she kind of stands up for herself, even though I know at the end she kind of has to, you know, give up the love, you know, the, the love story between her and Rita Moreno's son. But, I mean, if I had Rita Moreno screaming in my face, I might be like, <laughs> okay, I ain't seeing him no more. I'll tell you that right now. Um but, I mean, Rita Moreno's great, by the way. And before we started recording, Amanda and I were talking about her, uh, their their scene, their climactic scene where Rita Moreno's yelling at her. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's such a good scene in that movie. I love that moment. I thought it was uh, really awesome. But I thought the love story was really nice. And I actually felt kind of bad at the end. They don't really you know, work out, uh, so to speak. Because, I mean, they both still obviously have the feelings for each other. But I feel like she kind of knew... Um, that it wouldn't last, um, you know, just she had too much opposition. Um, you know, they, they had too much going against them, I'd say, right from the beginning. Um, and and you know, Rita Moreno's character, see, I'm, I'm going to like, just because it's Rita Moreno, of course I'm going to like the character, but I did feel she was a little hypocritical in a way. But me, it's like, if it was any other 20-year-old guy, she would just be like, oh, you go get him and all this kind of stuff. But because it's her son, it's it's bad. I'm like, so, you know, I mean, it's a little hypocritical because, I mean, she wouldn't care if it was some other mother's son that she was going after. But um, overall, no, I mean, I was glad that um, you had uh, picked it because uh, it was it was fun to watch. And I always love seeing, you know, like some of my favorite soap opera stars in other movies um, that, you know, they did before they did the soaps. And this was, you know. Not quite a decade, but it was a good, I'd say, at least seven or eight years before Bold and Beautiful even started. So it was really uh, fun to watch her back then. And I think that they, I just have to say, I wish Susan Flanner and Rita Moreno did more scenes together. Rita Moreno, you know, should have been on Bold and the Beautiful 
rivalry. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I do want to bring up one thing, not to get into your five minutes, but I think you could chime in too. Something Dan and I forgot to talk about was that Jameson Parker, who plays Rita Moreno's son, is really white. Yes, and I can't you. figure out how that happened. And <laughs> Those are all recessive genes in that one. Wow. Um, Did you notice that, Nate? <laughs> no, I really didn't. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't really. I, I thought he was real cute, though. Oh, yeah. He looked great. He, you know, he was 32 when he made it. Really? I yeah, playing that. a 20-year-old. Yeah. So he was only like eight years younger than Susan Flannery. I, mean, I do think you were mentioned that because I listened to the last episode. Okay. Yeah, there's some. I learned some trivia. So to make sure y'all didn't say anything bad about me. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but love, Nate. We were sad oh, you couldn't no. make it. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. I felt so awful that night. Oh, well, I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's. I'm feeling much better actually. So that's good. Do you have anything else you want to add, or do you want to talk about the other film? Um, I would like to talk about the other film, but I'm going to save it for our next one because I do not have my notes with me. Okay. My notes are actually <laughs> sitting on my desk. And funny story, my notes about Death of a Cheerleader are sitting on my desk at work as well. <laughs> I took them when I, on my lunch break and I forgot to bring them home. So I had to come home and jot down everything I remembered on <laughs> the computer. <laughs> I'm sure it'll all come to you. How oh, many yes. times do you think you've seen Death of a Cheerleader? Oh my goodness, there's no telling. I mean, <laughs> I remember it very, very well. I'll say that. Well, for anybody who's tuning in for the first time, uh, if you go back to our first episode, we all talked about our favorite top three favorite TV movies, and Nate called out uh, Death of a Cheerleader, and um, he gave it a pretty good review there, but we're going to go way more in depth this time. So to kind of uh, get us into it i'm gonna just do a little bit of background on tori now she's really famous and there's not a lot to say that people don't know but i did find a really old uh interview with her in harper's bazaar and i just want to like read you portions of it because i think it's it really kind of expresses how she was in the 90s to us and how she kind of looked back at her own career so um this was written by uh jenny stun for harper's bazaar and the article is called tori tells so here's a, something she said about her career. Spelling herself is aware of the campy aspects of her persona. Quote, I have been known on occasion to replay old TV movies of mine with my friends, she says. We laugh at them. I mean, co-ed call girl? Come on. Mother, may I sleep with danger? People tease me about that title all the time. She shakes her head. So ridiculous. She stops to look out the window at, at a boisterous tour group of vacationing Spaniards who give her the thumbs up sign. Thank you, she calls, giving them a little wave back. Spelling credits her parents with keeping her, well, as normal as you can be when you are raised in a mansion with 100 rooms, one for gift wrapping alone. There were always lots of showbiz people dropping by. Tori, in fact, was originally called Victoria until Barbara Stanwyck suggested she shorten her name. This isn't in the article, but as a piece of trivia, Barbara Stanwyck and Dean Martin are her godparents. Um, at the age of seven, Spelling announced to her dad that she wanted to act, and he gave her a few lines on the TV show Vegas. Um, also, when I met Parker Stevenson, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Tori Spelling because she played his daughter in a pilot movie called Shooting Stars, which is really good and everybody should see it. But he said it was adorable because she didn't even really know how to pick up the phone. So I guess there's like a phone call in the movie and she kept picking up the phone upside down. <laughs> and she was like, hello, hello, with like these big eyes. And I think he thought it was pretty adorable. So uh, a few years after joining the 90210 cast, Spelling began to appear in a slew of TV movies with such fabulously evocative titles as Deadly Pursuits, uh, which is about a lap dancer who seduces a young man in order to find his murder suspect father. 
And she says, I don't want to do another TV movie. Although I miss them, I got to pick the directors. I got to do rewrites. Even though they were cheesy, trust me, they were even cheesier before I got a hold of them. Which I think is really interesting, too. So um, she had a lot of creative control on these films. And we'll talk a little bit about the background of them when we get to them. I think it's really interesting. Well, first of all, Deadly Pursuits. So in 1996, uh, Tori Spelling made three TV movies. Deadly Pursuits, her, probably her most famous film, Mother May I Sleep with Danger, and Coed Call Girl. And what's so interesting is I think uh, her most iconic movie is Mother May I Sleep with Danger. But her most iconic role is probably in Death of a Cheerleader, even though she's only in half of the film. Um, it's it's a drop dead awesome performance. Like you, you don't forget it. It's the thing that sticks with you. I think it's a great film on its own as a whole. But um, but she just really, oh, my God, it's amazing. So um, so why don't we go ahead and get started with that? Angie was the perfect student. Today's the day for what? Your book staff? Bright and ambitious. I am going to edit the yearbook. And I'm going to be a cheerleader. But inside, she wanted more. I wonder what you have to do to be popular. Hey, Angie, come join the party. Mar! Me? You've chosen me? She used to be kind of cool. Well, now she's kind of weird, isn't she? Nice clothes, Angela. Where'd you get them? A thrift store? That's what Stacy does. She hurts people. Yeah, I just don't want to see you get hurt. You better run along now. We don't feed strays here. <laughs> we are who we are. Do the best with what God gave you. I want to be better than just me. You're going to be a cheerleader. I mean, what else do you want? You're so pretty and funny and confident. All I want is to be like you. You're pathetic. I challenge you to be the best. You are so weird. Be the best. Go away. Second best is not good enough. <laughs> So I ask you, what is your goal? Again? Was it the perfect crime or a cry for help? Someone disliked her enough to kill her. It had to be some crazy person. Forgive me, Father, for I I know what you are. Get away from me. Don't hit me, Mark. Kelly Martin, Tori Spelling, Valerie Harper, Death of a cheerleader. Okay, that was the VHS trailer. Here is the TV spot. Tori Spelling has it all. He is so hot. I think he's going to ask me to prom. Kelly Martin wants it all. I wonder what you have to do to be popular. What happens when an innocent dream... You're so pretty and funny and confident. All I want is to be like you. Pathetic. ...turns into a deadly obsession. Go away. Go away! Based on a true story. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Death of a cheerleader. So at the end of this recap, I want to maybe talk about the difference between those two trailers. But I love that they kept in the, you're so pretty and funny and confident. And <laughs> that's I think... Right. That should become our tagline or something. <laughs> and I think it's really important that Nate tried to do his breakdown as Tori Spelling's character. So he has to say things like, she wants to be a cheerleader. <laughs> Like that. Okay. <laughs> and, and he's going to call us by our last names throughout the rest that's of the episode. Right, that's right. Oh, Reyes. <laughs> but Nick. Yeah, well, yes, yes, Nate. <laughs> Where'd you get your mic at thrift store? Huh. <laughs> I love her lines. Um, okay, so. Death of a Cheerleader, a.k.a. A Friend to Die For, which I saw it under the title A Friend to Die For. I saw it, you know, it was, um, the build-up to it was awesome. When I saw it on, you know, the night it aired, 
Um, you know, I was very young, but I just I couldn't resist watching it because back. I mean, I was a big fan of Life Goes On, and you know, like I, I mean, I, I love Nine Hundred Two One Zero and and everything. So, I mean, I was excited to watch this one. Um, and so our uh, movie opens. It's it's kind of the usual. You know, it, it, it's sort of a cliche, I guess, for made-for-TV movies that's about a crime where they show the crime at the very beginning and then they kind of do a, you know, it's like 10 months earlier. You know, this is, you know, what led up to it. And that's kind of how this movie starts. You know, it starts with Stacy going up to, um, you know, this these stranger's house. She tells them that, you know, her friend got a little weird on her and, you know, she would like, you know, just call her parents but her parents are not home. So the husband decides to drive her home. Well, they're being followed. Uh, and of course, the husband is getting a little weirded out by it, and he even makes a mention of it. And Stacy just thinks, you know, she just kind of blows it off like it's nothing. And he lets her out of her car, and she's going up to a neighbor's house. And as she's going up to knock on their door, um, you know, she's attacked. And we see it from, you know, the, the man's point of view in the car. So you don't get a clear vision of what's going on at that point in time. Um, but then you see Stacy kind of stumble to another neighbor's house, you know, saying she's been stabbed and she collapses. And then, you know, she ends up, you know, her parents come home and she ends up flatlining at the, the hospital. And she, so she dies and it cuts back, you know, 10 months earlier. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're at a pep rally and, you know, we see Stacy and her friends and they're all, you know, just you know, laughing and having fun at the pep rally. And then, you know, then we see Monica, which this is mine and Amanda's character. This is who we bonded over. It was Monica. <laughs> <laughs> but we see Monica just dressed all in black, just not amused at this pep rally whatsoever. And then uh, we also see Angie, uh, Angela, and her friend Jill. And Angela, you know, played by Kelly Martin, is sort of the average, you know, girl next door kind of high school girl, but she desperately wants to be popular. You know, she'll stay, and like, even at the beginning, she's staring very kind of longingly at Stacy and her clique, and it's obvious that she wants to be one of them so badly. It's almost to a, you know, and I hate to say this because, you know, we are talking about high school, you know, kids, but I mean, you know, it, I remember thinking this even back when I watched it. I mean, it was almost to a pathetic level that she's so desperate. You know, she comes across very desperate in this movie to be popular, and, you know, it's, it's just you know, kind of crazy that she, um, you know, will go through what she is willing to put up with to be popular, I guess. Well, you know, her friend Jill is sort of the sensible one. You know, she tries to talk some sense into her, but of course Angie won't listen. And uh, her end to Stacy's clique is uh, she has a friend named Jamie that's actually a member of Stacy's clique. And even though we get the idea they're not close friends, they're still on friendly terms because she invites uh, Angie to come sit with them, you know, outside. And this is where we get our first, you know, um, idea that Stacy is not a very nice person because as soon as she sits down, you know, Stacy is telling this story about her boyfriend court being stupid in class. Cause her, I mean, she's talking about the, uh, somebody coming in, you know, with a doctorate degree saying, you know, call me doctor. And her boyfriend says something lame, like, Oh, you know, I've got a pain in my heart. It's just such That's a right. dumb joke. Um, but everybody laughs because Stacy's so pretty and funny and confident. Oh, no, absolutely. And Angie, she's just so pathetic. <laughs> um, so Angie, uh, you know, she kind of sees J uh, Jamie as sort of being her in into this clique. And she also gets a job working, you know, with Stacy at um, the, the school. She's working, they're working in the advisor's office together. And the principal is played by Terry O'Quinn. 
who, you know, I always know him as the stepfather. Yes. Um, but, I mean, here he is, you know, he's not a very, like, he only cares about the jocks and the cheerleaders, I should say. I'm trying to find the right way to phrase that. But, you know, he just, you know, is fawning all over Stacy, you know. Oh, you know, you'll make a wonderful cheerleader. You're just what we need. And then Angie will say, I'm trying out too. And he's like, oh, good for you. Yeah. Well, he says to her, he says, who's the favorite, who's the prettiest girl that works at the attendance office? Yes, it's so rude. Kelly Martin's like, thanks. And, and, and he'll even stop and he, he goes on the, all these tirades about how you got to be number one, second best isn't going to work. And then at one point later in the movie, he actually has a scene where he, he, everyone's sitting in class and he's on the PA talking about it. Like the cheerleaders, they're the best and da da da. Oh my God. (laughs) You can't even, it, is, it isn't just it, part of the assemblies. He'll do it randomly. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's like, no, talk to the, talk to the uh, students. You know how much you'd like. It's like student bodies. You remember the, uh, the principal in that? Why don't you yes. talk to the students? You know how much they like when, you know how much you like talking to them. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> then he gets hit in the face with a tomato. <laughs> he does, and it's very uh-huh. funny. <laughs> That didn't happen to Terry O'Quinn. No. no. That was in student bodies. Maybe they yes. needed to do that. He loves New York. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but aside from Court's lame joke, uh, we also know that Stacy's really mean because Monica walks by. This is her first little, you know, exchange with Monica where she just, you know, basically says, you know, did you forget your broom? You know, kind of intimating <laughs> okay, that Monica's a witch. That's funny. <laughs> I like Stacy. She's so pretty and funny and confident. I know. She's so popular. <laughs> Um, a ski trip. By the way, I'm you... sorry. Just, a, just as an aside, I was Monica, so let's. Go. Oh, I, I was too in school. <laughs> I was the loner. Yeah. Um, so uh, a ski trip is planned, which uh, Stacy and of course her whole clique is going to be going. Um, Angie desperately wants to go. Um, you know, she works like she, she works really hard. You know, we see a little montage of her working to earn the money <laughs> to get you know this ski equipment. And, of course, she can't afford anything. They go into this, like, really nice store, and there's, like, this outfit, which later Stacy is wearing that is on display that, you know, she can't afford. Of course, she ends up getting clothes that look like they came from a thrift store, according to <laughs> Stacy. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and Monica ends up going on the ski trip, too. Her parents make her, which leads to another, like, really mean scene where Stacy starts reading Monica's diary in front of everybody when Monica's out of the room. Bedtime story, girl. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Once upon a time, there was a very strange little girl named Monica. Her face was very, very white, and her clothes were very, very black. Now, Monica was so weird that now the other little girls would play with her. So she made her diary her constant companion. Here's what she had to say to it. <laughs> Dear diary, I'm sitting in the back of a van on my way to Timberland, all because my parents want me to fit in. Fit in with Stacy Lockwood and her toadies. <laughs> I'd just as soon kill myself. It'd be a real contribution to society. <laughs> She thinks she is so cool, but I'll bet she's still a virgin. Ah, now we're getting to the meat of the story. Come on, Stacy, that stuff's private. Well, excuse me. What are you anyhow, Monica's guardian angel? Back to the story. She thinks she is so cool, but I'll bet she's still a virgin. You colossal bitch! I love the background. Oh! Oh! 
Ooh. Like I wish they could that scene. I would give a million dollars to go back in time and just be in that scene. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, She's a bitch. I didn't realize until I heard the audio. <laughs> just watching her, I thought, oh, it's Tori Spelling. Wait a minute. She's so good in that scene. I love it. She it's is very horrible. good. <laughs> it's horrible. And she's just like, she's so, she is funny. You know what I mean? Like, as an outsider watching it, it's hilarious. Now, if that was really happening to you, that would be really horrible. But I'm fairly certain that happened to me several times during yeah, high school. I, I think it happened to all of us. And I, we'll talk about that, too, like when we get to the um, background. But uh, about the relatability of the characters, I didn't realize how great the, I don't know if they post-dubbed those sounds or if the girls were just back there going, <gasps> and if that was choreographed, because it was perfect. I think they were just so used to ooing and aahing over anything Stacy had to say. You know, it just sort of came second nature to them. <laughs> Stacy demanded it. She did. She ooh and awe over anything she has to say. <laughs> After a time, you can sort of catch the cadence in her voice and know whether to ooh or ah, and it's, it becomes pretty obvious. I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here, but she reminds me of the popular girl on Family Guy that Meg is so desperate to fit mm -hmm. in with. And at one point, Meg goes, oh, I heard, you know, you say this the other day. And the popular girl goes, um, number one, don't ever listen to me. You don't deserve to hear my words. And I'm like, that's Stacy. <laughs> that's what she'd say to anybody that shouldn't be listening to her. Could you imagine what would happen if Stacy grew up? Oh, my goodness. I Oof. hope she would mature, but I don't know that she would. I would hope she'd wander right into a slasher film when she hit college. <laughs> I will say, I went to high school with a girl that was kind of like the Stacey Lockwood. She was horrible. She was horrible. And I used to have to sit next to her in a couple of my classes. And because I was really unpopular and introverted, she would uh -huh. say really nasty things to me. Like, really nasty. And when she was about 15 or 16, she got pregnant. And she dropped out of school. And then she, I think she married the guy that got her pregnant. And they had, like... A ton of kids by the time they were like 21 they had like three or four kids already and I ended up working with her cousin and her cousin said you know what she's changed so much since high school because of everything that's happened to her and she came into the record store I was working at some years later and she was the nicest person oh that's a beautiful that's story. good that's a good story yes, yes no it's yeah. a good story so you can change and, and I, my heart warmed because I think she really went through hell you know getting pregnant so young and ended up making her life better for it so maybe Stacy needed to get knocked up. She didn't need to die. She, she needed to get knocked up. That's all yeah. I'm saying. That's the moral of the there story. You go. <laughs> go on. I'm sorry. Um, oh, so, yeah, anyway, so that's exactly what happens on the ski trip. And, of course, because Angie defended Monica, Stacy's kind of done with her at that moment. You know, I mean, because um, Monica and Angie kind of stay behind when they go skiing. And Jamie ends up going, of course, because it was either go with, you know, the wonderful Stacy or stay behind with the strays. So, you know, she's got to, you know, go, go hang out with Stacy. That's much more important than staying with the strays because that's what Stacy likes to say. She likes to call them strays. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, this is the scene that I really liked as well, though, because I think it was the first time I felt like somebody really held a mirror up to Angie to be like, you know, go lick her boots. That's what you're dying to do anyway, isn't it? Because, I mean, she is that that desperate, and she comes across that desperate, like, during the whole thing. I mean, so, you know, after the ski trip, you know, we uh, get into the Meadowlarks. And this is like a, it's just like an exclusive club that's a lot, a lot of popular girls. They do, you know, volunteer work, but it's, it's mainly just a popularity thing. 
and they wake them up in the middle of the night as part of the initiation. But of course, Stacy got warned in advance because when it shows her, she's like got, you know, all her makeup, hair's perfect. You know, I mean, she's just perfect. She's so pretty and, and you know, popular and confident uh, <laughs> sitting there. I um, want to be like her. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so they, they, you know, they go through this initiation um, and oh, it's so gross because they put like globs of mayonnaise on their hair. And oh, that's it's right. so nasty. Oh, like it just it made me sick just looking at it. And they have to leave it in. Yes. Like, oh, throughout the day. Yeah. It would it would smell terrible. <laughs> you know, and, and of course, you know, as usual in this, in, you know, in the first, you know, half of this movie, everything goes perfect for Stacy. I mean, like they, they tell her to go kiss a guy, and, you know, he rolls down the window and she gives him a little kiss and everybody's having a good time. Then, of course, when Angie's, it's her turn to give somebody <laughs> a kiss. The old man rolls the window up in her face. That was hilarious. <laughs> but you know everybody's what? laughing. You know why I like that scene? Because you're right. First of all. That would be me, the girl that runs up and the guy rolls up his window. But also, like, what the larks are doing is so innocent. Yeah. And they're really, like, the whole film is about, like, everybody's so innocent. So even when Stacy's really mean, there's it's still, like, very high school level mean. You know what I mean? She's not, like, lighting firecrackers on people's shoes and blowing their toes off. Or, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. she's just a nasty person to people verbally. And and at a level that's very much like a 15-year-old would be. And I like that sort of sense of innocence that, that goes throughout the film because it makes it way more realistic to me. You know, they're not so sadistic. You know what I mean? That it's like you feel like you're watching a slasher film all of a sudden. It's like it's very much like it was in high school. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, when you're in high school, I mean, all this stuff seems so important. But as you're an adult, I mean, it's just not. I mean, yeah. The popular people in high school, I mean, it's it's nothing when you're out of school. I mean, mm-hmm. in uh, the real world, in the work world, nobody cares if you were popular in high school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought too, if someone had just stood up to, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna end up calling her Tori throughout the episode. If someone had just properly stood up to her, there's every good chance that she might have backed down, or they might have gotten to such a yelling fit that it would have just gone crazy. But no one ever and does. I feel like. Monica could have been that person, but like when she does try to go at her, you know, Stacy's got all her friends behind her as backup. Yeah, I feel like Stacy wouldn't be as brave if Monica had like caught her one on one. Yeah, but, or if, if Monica had swooped down with like a bunch of other goths on yeah. her when she was by <laughs> herself. She should have found herself some more goths. Um, but I mean, yeah, because I mean, Stacy even says when Monica tries to come at her at the ski trip, you know, she goes back off. You don't have any friends here. Meaning, you know, Stacy's friends will. I mean, basically, I think Stacy was saying, if you attack me, my friends will jump you. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that's what Stacy was trying to say. The uh, Larks are really a, a really hardcore gang. I know. Yeah. You don't mess. <laughs> you don't mess with like Stacy. You don't. Out of you don't. Them. Yeah. You don't want to be the only goth in a Santa Mara, which I think was a, a song. You're the only goth in Santa Mara, or something that was, like that. That was in uh, Track of the Moon Beast. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that right. Though, yeah, the the gay, the the group, the uh, the California the lady, right? The California song, lady, yeah. It's pretty close, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's also, um, you know, there's there's a moment in in class because you know Angie being a writer is very important to her, and of course she's reading a poem, and of course they're mocking her. Um, That's right. You know, Court, you know, stands up and gives this really lame poem that, you know, it would be typical of an immature high school guy um, to do. And, of course, Stacy's poem is all about Monica. 
<laughs> it's, right. it's very mean, but it's it's mean in a way that she could easily do like she did in the movie. She's like, it wasn't about Monica. You know, it's just a poem. But, I mean, she's totally eyeing Monica while she's reading it. So, I mean, it's obvious that's who she wrote it about. But, you know, I think Stacy was really clever, I guess, in the way she was mean a lot of times. It's just she kind of underestimated Angie's, like, psychotic side. Yeah, she did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She just thought she was weird. She didn't know she was dangerous. And that she was going to use a cucumber knife to right. um, kill her. <laughs> but... Uh, no, I mean, of course, you know, we, we, we get closer and closer to the big ultimate scene because, um, you know, St- um, Angie calls, you know, Stacy's mom because uh, her friend Jill tells her that there's this party and, of course, all the older cool crowd's going to be there. So Angie thinks, oh, I can finally, you know, like get, you know, in good with Stacy because of this. And, you know, she pulls some sneaky stuff on her mother, Valerie Harper. Um, Yay. And, and it's a shame that Valerie Harper's not really given much to do here because she did yeah. so many TV movies. But yeah. she's, she's kind of just wasted here. I feel like any actress could have played the mother because the mother too. didn't really do anything. I mean, she's not really integral to the plot, I guess I should say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it's kind of sad. I think she's good in the role, but there's yeah. not enough there to make it like anything worthwhile. It's not like a meaty kind of role. Like there's, there's just not a lot to it, I guess. Yeah. So she pulls some sneaky stuff and, you know, she does end up uh, getting Stacy in the car, you know, trying to tell her about this party. Of course, Stacy finds out that Angie wasn't necessarily invited to this party. And then things go downhill from there. It's just a little grass. I know. I just don't feel like it. So tell me about this party. What's to tell? I don't know, maybe like how you got invited? <laughs> um, well, um, I, I wasn't invited exactly. It was my friend Jill. She said that it's okay. Wait. You're going to crash. You plan on taking me along for the ride. Oh, no, it's okay. Jill said it was no, fine. No, it's not okay. Maybe you're into public humiliation, but I'm not. But, Stacy, it's not a problem. You know what? This is a really bad idea. You better just take me home. That would spoil everything. There was never anything to spoil. Look, Angela, I'm not going to a party where I wasn't invited. And I wouldn't go to that party if I had been invited. Why are you so mean? <laughs> Come on, put a lid on it. Let's go. I don't understand. I just want to be your friend. <laughs> sure. And I want to fly to the moon. I admire you, Stacy. I've always admired you. You're so pretty and funny and confident. You're pathetic. All I want is to be like you. That's it. I'm out of here. Wait, wait, no. You know what? You are even weirder than I thought. You know, it's kind of mean, but um, some of the comments Stacy made towards the end of that clip, I kind of agreed with. <laughs> well, I mean, it is even a... weirder than I thought. Well, I mean, it is a weird situation, and yes. I kind of get it, but maybe there she could have used a little more decorum because she started off really badly. Like, tell me about this party. Well, what do you want to know? Well, like how you got invited, <laughs> and it's like she already puts it in the wrong. Yeah, because you know. she already makes it sound yeah. like, how did you get invited of all people? And you know what? Yeah. So you, so your friend, you're the, you're the friend of the party crasher. You know what I mean? Just right. go. To me, though, at this point in the movie, I think the reason, and it's not that I didn't have sympathy for Angie. I mean, I, I did, but I think the reason I didn't have as much at that point is because, to me, by that point in the movie, she knows what kind of person Stacy is, but yet she keeps going back to her. Yeah, it's kind of like a dog with a bone. It's like how much more abuse are you going to take from Stacy before you realize she just doesn't like you? Like, and you know, I mean, 
it's 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 sad that she wants that so bad when she's got a really good friend, you know, and, and her right. friend Jill, I think, is a really good friend to her. But I feel like she doesn't want that life, like friends with Jill and, you know, like, you know, her, her family's middle class. You know, she didn't want any of that. She wants to be rich and popular and confident like Stacey. Confident, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and I guess we should mention, like, she, you know, she auditioned to be a cheerleader and she was going to wanted really badly to be the editor of the yearbook. And she got turned down for both. But she was still doing great things. But it was like she nothing it would never have been enough and i bet if she had gotten both those jobs it still wouldn't have been enough there was something inside her and you're right it's important to mention that they do live a very middle class life because santa mir is very upper class and there are very few people in there i wouldn't be surprised if monica's family was affluent but i think um uh, kelly martin's character was one of the only middle class kids at that school and so she really struggled with the um appearance of having everything as well you know that was really important yeah. to her because everybody else had it already so yeah there's a lot feeding into um her i don't know what you want to call it uh Psychosis. mental yeah <laughs> mental issues uh, it's it, all of this stuff is feeding her from all over the place you know and i don't want to say like you know i don't have any sympathy for it because she is a good person i think that you know ultimately i don't think angie's a bad person i mean of course she did something horrible but I don't think that she was necessarily bad. I just feel like, like you said, nothing was ever enough for her. I mean, nothing was. Like, her friends weren't enough. Her family wasn't enough. You know, the, the good things that she was doing at school, nothing was enough. I mean, I think unless she was Stacy, I don't think nothing, nothing was enough for her. Yeah, the you know the only points where she seemed there uh, where there was happiness were were sort of the the few writing related moments we saw her with, and it's almost like uh, I would have loved it if she had um, uh, maybe sold a story or a poem or something yeah. like that, and suddenly realized, oh, who cares about this crazy blonde broad? I, I'm a I'm a good writer, and it doesn't matter. I think That's that not how it works. Thing. Yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> that was another thing that was frustrating about watching it. I guess you know, as an adult is everything going on and i just keep thinking especially you know stacy getting murdered and stuff i'm just like all this stuff that built up that murder in the grand scheme of things like you know when angie's older and out of school i mean let's say she you know didn't do that and kill stacy <laughs> none of that stuff would have mattered to her anymore mm-hmm. once she got older but i just you know i guess you know like what i said earlier just that when you're in high school it just seems like that's it you know that's the world for you mm-hmm. so you know, I, I guess I kind of get it, but, you know, after that clip you just played, I mean, that is what basically leads up to, you know, the, the scene where she kills uh, Stacy and she stabs her with a, you know, with a knife and, and runs off. And I'm not going to keep going into detail, uh, except, you know, just to say that, you know, of course, the rest of the movie is, you know, like the police investigating um, her dealing with her guilt for what she did. Monica getting blamed unfairly, which I did not like. Um, poor Monica. I mean, she was just totally, I mean, she did threaten to kill Stacy like 50 times throughout, throughout the movie. But I mean, you know, I think that was just out of anger and she obviously didn't do it. But of course, I mean, she is the prime suspect. Um, to me, the, um, the scene I felt so bad for her was when she's sitting in the assembly and all the seats around her are empty and everybody's throwing like paper wads and, and all this stuff at her. I mean, it's it's just it's kind of it's really hard to watch because I mean she's totally innocent in this movie. Like she hasn't really done anything wrong, 
but and, it doesn't matter. Well, that's interesting that you say, because I know when they question Kelly Martin's character, they say Monica is a suspect, but I really believe that Monica, that the authorities didn't believe Monica had anything to do with it. And that the suspicion really just came from the community itself, which is even worse. Yeah. Yes. Right. Because she has to live there. And so you're right. They made her life a living hell. Like she ends up dropping out of school because it's so difficult for her to even show up for an education because they've just decided she must be the one because she's so different. Uh-huh. You know, I think that, that was it. I mean, Mostly. she was like guilty until proven innocent for them. Yeah. Um, and it, it actually leads up to a scene that I really liked uh, with uh, Jamie when, you know, Monica does end up having to drop out and, you know, of course they, you know, vandalize her locker and stuff. And um, Angie and Jamie are both, you know, kind of standing there, you know, looking at it. And I love that moment because that's where, you know, Jamie says, you know, there's no way Monica could have done it. You know, she had an alibi. And that's when Jamie kind of admits as well. She's like, you know, I never really liked Stacy. I mean, she was friends with her because everybody feared her, but she didn't like her. And I was like, to me, that's very true. I mean, I wonder, did any of Stacy's friends really like her or did they just hang around her because i mean of who she was i mean because she wasn't very nice and nobody had the guts to stand up to her yeah i agree i you have to wonder though how girls like that get to that position because like i would feel like if somebody was really that horrible to be around all the time it would be really hard to move up the social ladder but it happens all the time right so i don't really know what she did to get there maybe she's from the richest family i mean they never really go into it Mm -hmm. you know so it's kind of a mystery to me yeah and then you got that you know it's funny i realized i i have a note here i was going to bring up the principal again i i forget his name but i wrote down his name was principal douche is that was that his name (laughs) mr sacks yes he's feeding into it too because he's talking about like you're only worthwhile if you're the best and then he Mm -hmm. treats he treats uh, kelly martin's character like she's not the best, right? Yes, and so, there, there are only a few characters in the whole city who who don't seem to feed into the you got to be the best. And one of them is one of my favorite uh, TV character actors is Eugene Roche, who's oh, Roche, yeah, the, who plays priest, the priest, yeah. who's yeah. the who's the um, who's the one sort of. Um, although, are they what what religion are they Catholic? Is that what they I are? Think I think so. Catholic. Yeah. Because I was I was raised Catholic, and I don't care how impassioned the priest got he never came down from the audience and walked through the crowd like gave, the priest and does gave them this. high fives <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i'm I'm glad that he did because there there is a scene where the priest comes down and he's saying maybe we did this maybe we caused this by saying you have to be the best and we drove a young woman who who just to, to craziness to to do this and he's walking up and down the aisle as he does it and i really like that actor so i'm glad um i'm he's glad wonderful. it was him yeah, he, and may I just bring up one more, uh, one yes. more point before we finish the the breakdown and such. I just remembered that um, uh, her name the the I why am I forgetting her name Angie Angela Angela? Uh-huh. I keep I uh-huh. keep forgetting it too. I keep saying <laughs> no, I, if it's Angie or Angela, but I guess it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. And I am saddened slightly that they had to name her Del Vecchio because um, oh. Amanda and I just finished um, 18 episodes of my other podcast, uh, Eventually Super Train, where we discussed Joni Loves Chachi. 
and Al Del Vecchio was our favorite character on there. And every time uh, um, Tori said, hey, Del Vecchio, come over here, I just thought, wait, if Al was here, he'd break up this shit in an instant. I know he would. Yeah, Al would never have let this escalate. I'm almost no, positive. No, no, no. no. <laughs> he would have leapt up from the early 60s and took care of it. Uncle Rico, maybe. Uncle Rico, yeah, he would have. Yeah, definitely. But not Al. I'm sorry, is there... I'm sorry, Nate, uh, you're... Actually, I was about to turn the floor over because I feel I've probably rambled enough um, because I, I love the movie so much. Well, it's one of your favorites, but... so please, go on as long as you <laughs> but, need to. No, I actually would like to open the floor up and see you know, what uh, you guys thought about it. What did you think, man? I here, Here's the thing. I, um, I thought Tori Spelling was the perfect character for that character. Um, I thought she was the she was the sort of the perfect bitchy character and she seemed to nail it and scene after and scene after scene. I liked her less and less and not, not, you know, not, not Tori spelling. I liked her character less and less. And I, and, and as it moved towards Angie's big moment, um, I was like, Oh boy, I can feel this coming. Oh no. And you know what? Half of me didn't mind it that she got stabbed horribly on the steps of her house. <laughs> but the other half was like, oh, no, that shouldn't happen. There are, there are a couple moments here. I, one of the things I remember from Beverly Hills 90210 was that Tori Spelling, and I'll talk about this more with co-ed call girl, but Tori Spelling was always the slightly the weakest link in all the actors to me. You could see her. She's trying hard. She knows her lines. But she's not quite as good as the other folks I always thought and there's a moment, the, the there's a face she makes, and you folks, right in the opening scene when she goes to the door and she says, my friend's acting weird. And there's a face she makes that, I watched this twice for this episode, and both times I thought, I don't know what that face is supposed to mean. <laughs> it's it's like she's in this really strange moment right now, and she makes this face, and I, I just it's just like, I is that, I don't know what that, that face is meant to denote. And it's sort of like, um, it's we'll get more of that with co-ed call girl, but there are there are occasional moments where she's like, oh, I remember that Tori who was slightly off sometimes, but most of ninety percent of the time she's on, she's the bitchy gal she has to be, and she nails it. And uh, Kelly Martin is is fantastic, I think, as the gal who is crazy from moment one, and just keeps the craziness up until she sort of kills. Um. And I might say this more with co-ed call girl too. More of my, I, I thought Death of a Cheerleader was pr pretty good, pretty darn good. Um, I, I thought a, a, it, it's not a subtle film in no. any way, shape, or form. Every single theme it has, it yells at you. Um, whereas the one theme that co-ed call girl seems to have that I don't quite understand is a little more subtle. Um, but uh, it, it sort of yells everything at you, and that, and that's fine. Um, I, I was. I, w I enjoyed myself all the way through, but there there were a few moments where I got lost a little. One is in the last half hour, last 15 minutes or so, it becomes a courtroom drama. And there's this, this moment where um, the uh, a news crew is interviewing the DA. Well, uh, if she goes to, uh, they offer you a plea for second degree murder. Uh, yeah, we're not going to accept that. Well, what does it matter? Because uh, for a juvenile, first-degree and second-degree murder has the same punishment. Well, we want to make a first-degree murder. Well, aren't you wasting the city's time? No, we think we can prove it. And then it turns out in the end, he was wasting the city's time. 
And so there's sort of a strangeness with this big courtroom scene where it gets to the end and it's like, well, that didn't have to happen. And you don't normally get that with courtroom scenes. Normally they're more tense. Well, um, this is oh, based on a, this is based on a true story. This is this is true, but I can criticize life as much as I can. Oh yeah, criticize. yeah, you can. No, I agree with you to some extent, but I mean they're probably just following how it really played out. Possibly, you know, yeah. to some extent, and we'll talk a little bit about that too when okay. we get to my stuff. But um, they're probably just doing. Also, I think that there's a sense of bravado, maybe. With the trial, true, true. you know, because yeah. we're coming from a town where everything is about, like, proving your sort of That's prowess. That's true, proven. Yeah, and you, you're not going to settle for second if you can do the first. That's true. I hadn't thought yeah. of that. I hadn't thought of that. Um, and I will say, the, the the one thing I did notice with this movie and with Coed Call Girl, and this is, I'm not sure if this is a, a bad thing or, or whether it doesn't actually matter, but one of the things with TV movies, whenever I talk to people about TV movies... I always, they always say like, oh, they're about disease of the week or, um, you know, Amy Fisher or, you know, they're just quick, fast things they do. And I say, no, 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 no. And I take them to many different titles in many different genres. And I say, and look at, we've got Duel. Look at how cinematic Duel is. Look at how cinematic uh, something like the Night Stalker can be. The thing with um, uh, Death of a Cheerleader and, and Code Call Girl, but specifically right now Death of a Cheerleader, is it's very it's very uncinematic. It mm-hmm. could be an it could be an episode of Beverly Hills 90210. It could be an after school special. You know, there, there there are two moments in it that that really kind of stood out to me as sort of what moments, and that's uh, the second time we see the stabbing from from the gal's point of view is a series of really strange video altered like. Whoosh, kind of going back and forth and stabs and and it's really weird looking because it's not slow-mo it's like a video mixer kind of i used to do that back in we used to do that back in high school and college when we would make videos and it's weird because it's like this is the big moment and we saw it at a distance at the beginning now we're seeing it close up and the director kind of like completely botches it and it, it's like what am i what am i looking at where am i looking what's going on yeah, oh she it worked for better from uh, far away. From this, yeah. And the other thing is, and this was just a, a weird moment where I, I, and again, I don't know because there are so many TV movies that are like this. This could be. This is an area that I've never really wandered into before. Like the like the romance movies last time, which I loved one and two thirds of. This is an area that I, I I've not been in. But there is a there is a strange strange moment where they are. Um, I've forgotten her name, uh, Miss Del Vecchio, the yeah, killer. Angie. She, she, Angie is watching a, a press conference with Tori's parents after the killing. And you see her parents are sitting there at a lovely table in front of their huge house. And, you know, and, and the camera's pointed at them, as you do for a news conference. And there's some flashes that go off. And they're, they're talking about their daughter and that kind of thing. And suddenly the camera goes behind them. And you see all the people pointing cameras at them and taking flash photos, but it's on TV, the the TV screen, which means that there should be a camera that we can see 
behind the parents during the opening shot and that that is a really weird because that's like whoa where that that's that's like i don't know that that's that's like two steps above continuity error now well, it wasn't it wasn't problematic it was just an odd moment that's like those surveillance videos though that were so famous in 70s and 80s where they would like pan into the character do you know how you would sure. watch you'd watch a tv show and there would be like uh you know on like scarecrow mrs king or whatever and they'd be watching a security mm-hmm. camera and the security camera would miraculously shoot at different angles and then close in on the person you wanted to identify. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of the same idea. Probably. It, I, I, I think so. Yeah. It's just, it was weird to me because I thought, well, why not just cut from the TV screen to the press conference? Sure. Then you could do that. But because we're still seeing it from the TV screen, it's like, wait a minute. So where's that camera? Now that that's me nitpicking no, in no, no, general, no. in general, I enjoyed the movie. I, I wasn't, I mean, I, I wasn't terribly thrilled with how sort of obvious everything was presented, especially in, in the last 15 to 20 minutes. It's presented so much as it's the society's fault. Yes. And and, and by the end of it, you're almost like, Angie, you're going to be all right. Oh, wait a minute. You stabbed that girl to death. Oh, right. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. Well, but, but I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. I would let you finish the call. Oh, it's, um, but, but overall, uh, I think for this sort of movie, it's it's an interesting watch. It's a fun watch. Although I don't buy the sister with the cucumbers in her car and that huge knife for one second. When I saw that, I thought that's ridiculous. But I do think Angie and her sister look like sisters, so that that sure. I bought. So that was it. That that was. I, uh... What about you, Amanda? <laughs> well, I love this movie. I think it's a really really good film. I've seen it a few times myself. Uh Dan did bring up some things though that I I want to mention and of course I didn't write any of them down, so I'll just hit on. So <laughs> this is but something he said that's really important and it gets it's a little it's it's a nitpick for sure. I think it's a really solid film as a movie. It's good. It's a good movie from beginning to end. I can sit and watch it. I can pretty much watch it anytime. If it's on TV, I will sit and watch it. But it's harder to swallow when you really dive into the true crime case, which I don't even know that much about. But I feel like it's a disservice. It's character assassination to make Stacy look like that because based on all accounts, she was not that bad in real life. And even if she was, she didn't deserve to die. And I feel like for the first half of the film, they're building up to you kind of wanting her to get stabbed. Like Dan said, half of you was like, yes. And the other half is like, shit, that's really bad. So um, there, that's kind of really insulting to me because that girl died that and that's a horrible death like when she's in an ambulance and she's spasming and everything that's like really upsetting and but and the second half of the film i guess because we're doing this from kelly martin's perspective and then we start sort of start to get outside of her and the police officer there's that really great scene where they're uh they've called in kelly martin's character to question her and she's still lying. And then they do like the character profile. And then they say, what do you think of that? And Kelly Martin says, that sounds just like me. And she leaves and she knows that they're onto her. And the one cop says to the FBI agent, I kind of feel sorry for her. And the FBI, FBI agent says, don't feel sorry for the girl that died. And so I think that that's important to remember. And I feel like sometimes when I watch this movie, I'm like, oh, my God, could you imagine being the parents of that cheerleader? And seeing this movie and and seeing your daughter portrayed like such a bitch that she deserved to die. So to watch it under that lens, I guess, if you want to say it that way, um, it's a little insulting. But as a film, it's really good. It's just so entertaining. I think Tori Spelling is amazing in it. She's iconic. I mean, 
it's just, it's untouchable. Her performance is so good. It's so good. It's so, it's so of its time and so melodramatic in all the right ways and really, really fun. And she's like the female JR for 45 minutes. You just love to hate her. You can't, you can't get enough of her, you know, but you would never hang out with somebody like that in real life. Kelly Martin's fantastic in it. Everybody's great. It's an interesting film. Um, I think it plays out really well. Uh, and I don't necessarily mind the messaging hitting you over the head, but I think Dan has hit on some things about what happened in the nineties in the world of TV movies. And they really did become more like message movies. And he's also right that they have a flatter look to them. I think that's the best way to describe it. They're, they are far less cinematic. The farther you go back into to the history of TV movies, the more they look like films as like a theatrical. And then the closer you get to now, like if you watch a lifetime movie now and it just doesn't look like anything, you know? Um, but I don't necessarily mind that, you know, look. Mm -hmm. And and I think a lot of films are are good enough that if you're okay with them looking more episodic and more like a TV show, that you can really get some really great entertainment out of them. And they really did capitalize on true crime. And Koa Call Girl is also based on a true crime. And I think when we're done uh, with the breakdown of that, we might want to talk about how similar the two films are in their structure. Because um, they're kind of the same film in a way in terms of uh, the courtroom at the end and everything and how it plays out. Uh, but just in general, it's so good. I can't get enough of it. And when we were listening to those trailers, I think it's the TV spot. They're like Kelly Martin, Tori Spelling, and Victoria, oh my God, I forgot her name, Valerie Harper in you know, Death of a Cheerleader. And I'm just like, oh my God, I want to watch that movie so bad. You know <laughs> what I mean? Because it's everybody I love, like in a little film together that's based on a true crime story. I mean, everything about it is so alluring to me. And um, I don't know when the first time I saw this, I think I must've caught it on Lifetime at some point in the nineties. And a friend of mine actually bought me a bootleg of it and she sent it to me and it wasn't the right movie. Oh no, what was it? I can't remember the Mother name of it, but yeah, it was a Mother Mary Sleep with Danger. It was something... <laughs> With uh, Meredith Baxter, and I can't remember. Creature? No, no, it's from the 90s. I can't remember the name okay. of it, but it's not a Betty Broderick movie either. But it was pretty good. I remember I did watch it years ago when she gave it to me. But um, so Death of a Cheerleader eluded me to have it in my possession for many, many years. But um, uh, it's it's well worth seeing. I think if people are afraid to go into the 90s, I think that there's, well, they're so different from the 70s. So that's a caveat. You have to know what you're walking into. But also, I think if you have an open mind and you kind of like a little bit of over the topness in your movies and a little bit of like how they were like ripping things from headlines, I think you could have a lot of fun with this decade of films. And I would recommend this movie to pretty much anybody, I think, if just to see Tori Spelling in the first half of it, because I think she's so amazing in this. May, may I bring up something? I, just, I have the movie playing on my TV right here. And uh, how how competitive is Santa Mira? They're in gym class, and everyone in gym class is wearing are wearing T-shirts that say Santa Mira PE Department. So when you go in gym class, you have to wear a shirt that says "I'm in gym class," more or less. So, Basically, well, wow. Santa Santa Mira High is everything. It's everything. Mm -hmm. So I want to <laughs> I want to play the first trailer again real quick because I sure. think what Dan was talking about about all the messages it is clearly laid out in this trailer. I think they put this trailer together so well because it hits on every major beat and theme. 
Angie was the perfect student. Today's the day for what? Yearbook staff? Bright and ambitious. I am going to edit the yearbook, and I'm going to be a cheerleader. But inside, she wanted more. I wonder what you have to do to be popular. Hey, Angie, come join the party. Mark! Me? You've chosen me? She used to be kind of cool. Well, now she's kind of weird, isn't she? Nice clothes, Angela. Where did you get them? A thrift store? That's what Stacy does. She hurts people. Yeah, I just don't want to see you get hurt. You better run along now. We don't feed strays here. <laughs> we are who we are. Do the best with what God gave you. I want to be better than just me. And you're going to be a cheerleader. I mean, what else do you want? You're so pretty and funny and confident. All I want is to be like you. You're pathetic. I challenge you to be the best. You are so weird. Be the best. Go away. Second best is not good enough. <laughs> and so I ask you, what is your goal? Go be the best. Again? Go be the best. Go be the Was it the perfect crime or a cry for help? Someone disliked her enough to kill her. It had to be some crazy person. Forgive me, Father, for his sin. You are. Get away from me. Don't hate me, Mark. Kelly Martin, Tori Spelling, Valerie Harper. Death of a cheerleader. So basically everything, it's like Dan edited that trailer because everything <laughs> that like stuck out to him is in that trailer. And and I think it's, it's a really good trailer because it does talk about all of the things that are happening in the film in terms of to be the best and was she missing something inside was this a cry for help and and how stacy was and like is this really is she is it okay that this happened and what caused it and it's it's just so well put together uh, it made me think of another point that just went right out of my head so if you guys mm -hmm. want to talk about it i'll think about that point again nate nate do you have something i was gonna i just had a thought oh I, yeah me too go ahead Oh, please. No, you, Nate, first, please. Uh, my thought was, I think it's interesting that once Stacy is gone, Angie's kind of taking her place. That was it. You know, uh, mm. Yeah, she sort of takes her place. You know, like, of course, the popular guy is suddenly wanting to date her. And, you know, they nominate her to be sort of the leader of the Larks and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, you know, she's becoming the popular girl. But, you know, she obviously, you know, it's kind of, I think, the whole point of the movie at that point was like she paid like a really big price to get that and then she wasn't happy ultimately that's yeah. right yeah i think it's interesting too that she gets everything she wants after the fact and then talk about it not being enough because you have to live with yourself every day you know what i mean knowing that you had to kill that girl to get what she had you know and so yeah. i mean i guess that's the message well one of yeah, the was... messages that dan's pointed out I, there, there are t two things uh, that that just occurred to me. One, um, are her are are Angie's parents cuckoo birds? Because all Ma does is pray with a rosary, and all Dad seems to do is fiddle under the hood of a car. This seems yeah. to be a piece of junk the whole time. And the second thing is in that in that trailer, it doesn't quite. The first thing I thought with Angie was almost as much as I love the performance. Almost immediately, Angie seemed to be nuts. When she was talking, yeah. it did. It did. It didn't seem like there was really a buildup. The way she was talking, it was very sort of hyper. Like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it was like, oh, you're clearly going to go crazy. Even if I didn't know what this was about, I know you'd be going crazy soon. And is that part of the? Is that part of the appeal? Were her going crazy? No, no. The fact that you know from from minute one, oh. sort of that. Um, you know what? Because it's a true crime film. 
probably mm. i think okay. i i think i mean so in the 90s i was obsessed with true crime and so i know i'm not the only person out there but um mm. yeah like i think sometimes it doesn't matter if there's mystery so, or like build up around the crime you're just curious about how it happened and what the outcome was you know do well well you're you're up to detective reyes's true crime podcast episode eight now yes. right? <laughs> yeah i dropped true crime because the closer like I read a lot and then I got to this point where I read this book about this couple that were killing people in Canada and it, it was so horrifying what they did to these girls that I, I put mm. the book down. This was a while ago and I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard to read this. And so the older I get, the more sensitive I get to it. This is an easier mm. this is easier to swallow because the film I think is it follows the case as far as I can tell fairly closely, mm -hmm. but it's also kind of a flight of fancy because the characters are a little over the top. So it's a little easier to take it in. What what's the timeline in between when she does she kill like in the summer and she gets caught like the next spring or something like that? What do you know the timeline? Because I know they celebrate Christmas in between like the death and the... I don't know. I just know it all happens within the murder happens they go ten months before the murder, but I don't know how far they go after it. Do you okay. know what I mean? Like it's not clear yeah. to me. D uh, David. Uh, Nate, do you know? Uh, I don't. Now, she kills her in the summer, right? Because um, she was at cheerleader camp, and it was right before school oh, out for the summer, yes. right? So yes, she, because she kills we, her in the summer. Because we get that big awards ceremony where they give the awards to the best girls in the school, and they're all Tory Spelling Awards, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah. she doesn't get any of them. Yeah, I swear, okay, in this so. movie, it could be... Who is the best at being Angie Delvecchio? Oh, Stacy Lockwood. <laughs> that's why that's she had to die. That's, that's like, she's that's, like. I know that she, feeling. She's like, she's Angie's like doppelganger or something, but uh, they, they look completely different. Ugh. It's so weird because, because Stacy wanted to be Angela. That's what they, we didn't know. Oh, wow. That's the twist. I was going to say that. That that would be the worst if at the end of uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Lake Mungo. Yes. Lake Mungo. I haven't seen when it. So gal... spoil it. Oh gosh. Okay, I can't spoil it. <laughs> I was going to do a doppelganger related. It's thing really good, Amanda. That's what I've it heard. Is so I don't want to hear. But I think the doppelganger might have give something away. No. Oh no! Not no! Really. Not at all. No. Not really. No. no. Nothing no. that you would you could guess or anything. No. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, uh, I'm sorry about that. I, 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 I thought maybe both of you had seen it. I was going to mention it, but um, I like, um, I, I like uh, um, the people in the movie. I don't know. I there's the there's that scene where they're at the the desk there and uh, and in the school where the both of them work and the football guy comes up. And uh, and uh, Tori goes, "Hey, Del Vecchio, you're a writer. He's he came in late. Think of an excuse for him." And I thought, one, you're calling her by her last name, which I I hate when people do that with me. And two, I write myself, and there's nothing worse than someone get, wanting to access your talents for something completely idiotic. Well, how hard would it be? I, I woke up later. I had a doctor's appointment. I mean, like, how hard would it be to come up with an excuse for him? You know, you don't. I feel you don't, like you... for. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say. I feel like for Stacy, oh, no. it was more of a power play. Yeah, for sure. Like yeah. she could get Angie yeah. to do it just because she had told her to or asked her to. You know what? Mm -hmm. Angie reminds me of. You remember the cartoon with the big dog and the little dog? And the little dog was like, "What do you want to do, Spike? What do you want to do?" Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where are we going, Spike? What do you want to do? That's exactly what they remind me of. Yeah, she's a bit of a heartbreaker, that Angie. I wish. Um, I I don't know. I don't know what what could what what do you think could have 
been done to give her some, uh, I don't know, I, I don't want to say, not pleasure, but some sort of just like enjoyment. Well, from it's life. kind of some obvious sort of... that the dad sort of understands because they have that conversation. Of course, everything's already happened. But, um, you know, when she's sitting in the car after she gets uh, questioned by the police and she's overhearing mm-hmm. her parents and the dad is talking about that. I think she's embarrassed by us because we're not rich and we live this way. And I, I, and then I don't remember Valerie Harper's response to that, but I feel like maybe the parents in terms of this film, not in the true crime case, um, could have been maybe a little bit more sympathetic to her being a teenager and maybe been a little bit more present. Cause it seemed like the mom wasn't really there till the end. She was too busy praying and everything was about going to church and, Whatever and the and dad did, had his head in the car, and I feel like maybe she she was felt really isolated. Was was the sister sort of then like the sis like the brother in Born Innocent, where he, she was able to get herself out of oh, the situation well, and try to make yeah, I don't a sort of I don't think so. it's not that bad. It's not it's the the, the parents aren't that as bad in, no, in they're, Death of a they're Cheerleader. Loving but... parents, they're just sort of absent from their children, probably because they're so mm-hmm. caught up in whatever else they're doing in their own lives. But I don't think necessarily, I don't want to say that they're bad parents, but I think Mm -hmm. that the sister kind of felt like, I think she is the first sign of where things were heading because she was already like, you just do what you can with what you have. And living on your own is really hard. You have to pay your own bills. And Mm -hmm. here I'm cutting cucumbers in my car. And like, well, that's, that's goofballery to me. But I mean, like she's when when uh, Kelly Martin's character is telling her sister all these things she wants to do, and she's like, "Whatever, it's not going to happen for us. It never happens for people like us." And so I feel like she's a direct result of the parenting. And okay. there's a lot of like dream killing in that family, not intentionally, but their lives are harder than everybody else. Okay. So I feel like um, maybe they could have been a little bit more sensitive to the like the, the quote unquote struggle. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. When you have yeah. a lighted picture of the Pope on your wall. Um, you, you, there's something going on in the house. There. <laughs> yeah, she. They should have done more with that because she, that could have been. Well, uh, I, I will, I will say that it looks like. Um, I, I'm sorry again. I have the the movie playing, and what what happens is Angie writes out a confession letter to her ma, and then she goes to school, and her ma reads the letter with the Christmas tree next to her. So it must be like summer to Christmassy kind yeah, of maybe. time, like six months, yeah. six months or so. Now, do you, either of you think that it would have been, I guess, better if we would have seen a vulnerable side of Stacy, or did you both prefer just the meanness from beginning to end? Like, I don't know that we ever saw a moment where you could think, well, you know, maybe she's not that bad or something like that. I mean, through the whole first half of the movie, we're pretty much led to believe she is that bad. Um, And I wondered if we, because there's, you know, I'm sure both of you seen that movie Heather's. Sure. Yes. And, yeah. That's. Yeah. And there's a scene, you know, with with um the the first Heather, and she's like really mean in this movie, like very mean. But there's a scene I've always loved in that movie, and it's where they go to the college party, and she does something for one of the college guys, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that she didn't want to do, but was kind of pressured into it. And there's a scene where she's just looking at herself in the mirror, and she's like, I mean, she. I, is is like rinsing her mouth out and she just spits the water on her reflection. And I always thought that was a great mm-hmm. scene because to I me it was that. one of those moments like where, yeah, she's really mean in school, but she doesn't really like herself. And you kind of get yeah. that vibe that she doesn't like herself. 
And I, I love that you saw just that little hint of vulnerability. And I wondered if this movie couldn't have benefited a little bit just from a little moment like that, where you kind of get a moment of reflection with Stacy, not anything overt, but just mm-hmm. something, you know? I- I feel like the overall goal of this film was to blame everything on society. <laughs> so like, yeah. so I think, I think they kind of, I'm fine with the way they did it. I think maybe you're right because to watch it with the real story in mind, it's like, Oh gosh, this is kind of horrible. But in general, no, I mean, I think it's kind of fun to watch her like that. I don't know that it's necessarily needed with their end goal anyways to, I mean, all she is, is they're symptoms of society, both of them. They're not even people anymore. They cease to be people by the end of the film. They just become the symptom, you know, one from each side. So I don't know. I don't know that it, I mean, I guess I don't think it would have hurt the film, but I don't know that it it necessarily makes it better or worse. I just think it makes me feel funny when I watch it, knowing that that girl's parents probably saw that film and were like, Jesus Christ, this is horrifying. (laughs) I mean, you're right. I I, I read a little bit up on the real story in, um, it seems like, like you said, I mean, several people who knew these people in real life, you know, we're kind of saying that the Stacy character, the real life girl was not that bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind yeah, of terrifying. I, I think, I, I think one, uh, it, uh, it, it just occurred to me that when the, the, the difference with the two characters is that during the cheerleader tryout sequence, um, uh, Stacy's performance to me wasn't much better than Angie's. I they agree. both are a little lackluster, but Stacy becomes a cheerleader and Angie doesn't. And Stacy has a look on her face the whole time she's doing her performance like, I'm already in. I'm already there. I don't have to work hard at this. Whereas Angie is trying, she's just not very good at it so that's like society you know saying okay she's the the cuter one well it's tori spelling she's the more made up one i don't know if i'd call well, she's the, the more synth- one. synthetic one you know what yes. i mean because she's everything about her is like perfect makeup the yeah. best clothes yeah. mm-hmm. and so i think she looks great in the film i don't have, really have a problem with her but i do think kelly martin has a more girl next door appeal to her and and so that's part of it as well i mean tori spelling is always going to be the the quote-unquote glamorous one at the school because she has everything Mm -hmm. you know and and i think uh with regards to the heather i kept thinking of heathers throughout the movie and thinking wouldn't it have been great if during that sequence with the you're funny and you're confident you're whatever the heck she says if christian slater had suddenly jumped up from the back seat and done something if he blew up the car if he blew up the car, because I, I think the thing with Heathers is that Heathers is a great movie and Daniel Waters script for Heathers, I think is a thing of beauty. I also think it's, it is far too complex character wise for what we're doing in this movie. Oh, sure. And so I, I think I would have loved to have seen a moment of vulnerability in Tori's character, um, but it may have... Well, I don't even know if because all the propaganda in the last like 20 minutes or so about society, I, I, I think a moment of vulnerability may have let the viewer th- sort of think on that as we were hearing all the propaganda. I really don't know, but I I would have liked to have seen a little moment of that. But the the fact that she doesn't, she goes whole hog for being a bitch is is fun too well so. there's also something to the fact that yeah maybe she was a really fucking horrible person but guess what she doesn't deserve to die 
Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's important to remember, too. Even if she was like, because she didn't physically hurt anybody. She made life hell for people. But that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that she deserves to be stabbed to death, you know, and to die in that horrible way. And so maybe maybe that's why they held back from giving her a more sort of humanity Mm. because oh that's true yeah Yeah, yeah, because you know what she didn't deserve it and Mm -hmm. she'll never have deserved it ever Mm. and so like and they they make that clearer as the film goes on it's just in the first half they don't but you know now that i think about it i think they're really trying in the second half to be like she's still a person guys yes you know and um so i would say maybe they they did the right thing to do it this way okay that's my thought. I, I would like to do some background, though, because we've been doing this for a while, and I want Nate to do the Koi Call Girl. Is that okay? Oh, yes, please. Background yeah, away. We've been, this is like such a great movie. There's so much to talk about. So it originally aired on September 26, 1994 on NBC. It ran against on CBS, Murphy Brown, Love and War, and Northern Exposure. On ABC was uh, Monday Night Football, Denver versus Buffalo. Buffalo won 27-20, in case anybody was wondering. And on Fox... Uh, Party of Five, and then local programming. Um, that's so weird. I've never had to do the fourth network before because we've never gone this far into TV movies. So it was like, that was pretty funny. Um, not funny, haha. By the way, funny, weird. Um, so this is based on the real-life murder of Kristen Costas, which we've talked about. The director, William A. Graham, said uh, when he shot it, most of the female cast members actually hung out together, usually in Tori Spelling's dressing room, except for Martin, who was trying to stay removed from the group as a way to maintain a feeling of alienation. So she actually kind of kept to herself. Um, Tori Spelling had this to say about it. She said, it was a good script, and it got me excited that the character was so different from Donna, who's her character on 90210. I think people can't even fathom me playing this role. They'll be shocked when they see this, that I could play somebody like that. Uh, Also, interestingly enough, Martin and Spelling had previously appeared together in Troop Beverly Hills, in case we have any fans out there. Um, The film was shot in 18 days during the hiatus of both Martin and Spelling's hit TV shows. So I guess... uh, Life Goes On had ended, and uh, Kelly Martin was in a show called Christy, which I don't remember very well. And, of course, um, Tori was on 90210. This ended up being a springboard for both actresses in the realm of TV movies. Uh, both are known today as queens of the era. Uh, Awake to Danger would be Tori's next film, which is excellent. It's got Michael Gross in it. That's a mystery. I really like that one. Uh, apparently, the success of Death uh, of a cheerleader changed the way NBC approached TV movies. And this was really interesting. I found this in an old news article. Concentrating heavily on the younger demographic in the 18 to 49 crowd, um, telling the story from a teenager's from a female t- teenager's point of view proved to be very successful. Lindy DeCoven ran NBC's TV movie and miniseries unit and decided the best way to grab that audience was to keep the general dynamic. So previous to this, TV movies, I guess, in the late 80s and early 90s had moved into uh, films that were uh, generally about mothers and daughters, but told from the mother's point of view. So what uh, DeCoven did was she switched the point of view to the younger character and um, it ended up becoming hugely successful and greenlighting several like-minded TVMs or tell, I'm sorry, TV movies such as Her Last Chance and She Fought Alone. Um, in uh, 1996, which was uh, two years later, NBC ended up having 18 of the top 21 movies in the ratings. So this formula was really working for them. And A Friend to Die For was actually the highest-rated TV movie of 1994. It averaged a 17.7 27 share, which I think means 17.7 million homes had it on, which means 27% of the viewing audience was watching it that night. And it actually beat out Monday Night Football and came in number 10 for the week with um, 90210 ranking at number nine. I found an article about 
Tori Spelling talking about her TV movies for Entertainment Weekly, and she had this to say about A Friend to Die For. Um, the article starts, Spelling plays high school cheerleader Stacy, who teases the uncool new girl in school, Angela. Life goes on, Kelly Martin. Since no bad deed goes unpunished in TV movies, Stacy ends up on the sharp end of Angela's knife. Tori says, I was just so psyched to get it. It was the first time I was going to play evil. I already had the stigma of being Donna Martin. I would go to auditions and casting agents would be like, we don't see you as a bitch. And I was like, great. No one's ever going to see me as a bitch. That's it. Hooray. Yay. Sorry. <laughs> well, I, was, I mean, uh, for the time frame, yeah, but definitely not after Death of a Cheerleader. I could easily see her in a role like that now. She played it so well. Yeah, I don't know that she's done it that often, though, to be honest no, with you. No, I don't either. I mean, I can't think of another movie right offhand where she plays somebody especially that bad. No, I can't either. She may have done some independent films where she did that, but her TV movie, she's always kind of like, the girl next door gets in trouble. I love those, too. She was in one of those um, like um, spousal abuse movies, too. I haven't seen the movie, but, I mean, I've seen it. I mean, I don't remember the name of it, is what I'm trying to say, because oh. I saw it years ago. But, yeah, she was like a, a battered wife, and, and she did a really good job in that movie, too, but I cannot remember the name of it now. Huh, I'd and like to see that. Kelly Martin, actually. So oh. off-base here. Okay. <laughs> like, for some reason, my mind just got on Kelly Martin suddenly. Like, it, it was a total <laughs> switch-up. I, I do think Kelly Martin had the more varied career in terms of characters, um, in TV movies because she has played many different kinds of characters. I don't know that I've ever seen her play a completely evil person, but I know she's played like uh, edgier characters. Oh, what's that one movie? Oh, I was just thinking about saying I couldn't remember the name of it. It's with the guy. He was he committed suicide, the actor. And um, I feel like he was he committed suicide because he was on some kind of skin treatment. Do you remember this? And it and the whatever he was taking or using for it had a really bad side effect, and he hung himself in the hallway while his friends were in his apartment. Do you remember this story? Is it Jonathan Brandis? And oh, I don't know. And um, Kelly Martin was in a movie with him where I feel like she's in a mental institution, and he's also in it. And they're teenagers. They're just like screwed up teenagers, and they end up in this institution together, and they run away. They escape. Have you guys seen that movie? It's really good. No, is this is this a fever dream you had? No, this is no. an actual movie. This is a this is an actual movie, and it always sticks out with me because the actor died, and I saw the movie after he passed away, and he died very young, so it was always in my head like how tragic it was, and um, and he plays kind of a messed up character in the film, and but they run away with other people from the institution. But the thing is, is that Kelly Martin and this guy are screwed up, but they're screwed up in ways where they probably could live in society if they could get out and get jobs. But the people that they run away with are like really messed up. And so like, there's no way that they could survive on the streets when it's happening. And they end up going back to the hospital. It's a really good movie, but like, so Kelly Martin had a wider range. I think Tori Spelling starred in a lot of movies, but she was always, like I said, the girl next door getting caught up in like a mystery or intrigue. And she's in Deadly Pursuits where she plays the lap dancer. There's this really great scene where uh, I don't remember the exact dialogue, but there's these two guys. I think they're staking her out. They're police or something. And one of them is ogling her. And the other guy goes, you wish. And they're just counting it over your head that she's like the sexy lap dancer. They they do a lot of that in co-ed, they co-ed, do. Uh, co-ed call they girl do. too. The people stand around and say, "Isn't it's like with Ch- Chesty Morgan in Double Agent Seventy Three? She is so gorgeous. She yeah. is so gorgeous." And you go, 
Okay, that's yeah. Yeah, like they totally, Sorry. They totally hit you over there. Now, Tori Spelling's a lot cuter than Chesty Morgan, but like, yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. But but that, I don't know where that came from. I apologize. Yeah, but it's like they're trying to hit you over there because you know Tori Spelling. In an interview I read with her, she was fully aware of like even before the internet, like how much nitpicking people did about the way she looked, because she did look different than a lot of other actresses, you know, and, and she was aware of the things people were saying about her. She talked about it very frankly in this interview, which made me respect her a lot. Um, and, and you have to have a really thick skin to have to endure a lot of that, um, kind of judgment because it's not something you can really sure. fix. And I don't think there's necessarily anything she needs to fix personally, but like, but like, because she was like, I don't know how to even explain it just different than, than, uh, you know, even the characters on 90210, like, uh, what's her name? Jeannie Garth is much more, um, what's the word I want to use? Uh, she's much more the standard beauty, oh, you know? Sure, of course. Yeah. yeah, I can't think of the right word. Idealized beauty. She fits the, she fits it a lot better. Do you know what I mean? Than Tori mm -hmm. Spelling did. But, mm -hmm. but I always liked Tori Spelling. I think she's adorable. And uh, she had a waist to die for. She had this little tiny waist that <laughs> I was so jealous of. And even after five she's, she's got lovely. She's got lovely legs, too. Yeah, she does. In, she's in cute. Yeah. You know, she's cute. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. Her Last Chance, I think, was the name of the the movie you were thinking of with Kelly Martin and Jonathan Brandis. Her Last Chance. Oh, maybe. Yeah, probably. Just for you folks out there, look up her last chance. You'll have a good time. <laughs> but let's get started with Koei Call Girl because I want Nate to cool. be here. And now, there's no bumper or anything for this, so I'm just going to go ahead and play that uh, Tori Gets Her Hair Done montage music again because it's like my favorite song ever. that whole song on my ipod so if anybody has it you have to send me an mp3 of it it's so amazing unfortunately nate had to leave us for this but he's going to give us his five minutes at the end of our breakdown so it's just going to be the two of us and we are going to go down and dirty and deep with tori so let's take it away dan uh joanna is a college student and she lives in the dorms and she's in the los angeles area and uh, in the very opening scene, she has to. All she does is she studies, and you see her leaving her roommate uh, to go to work in her mother's bakery. And as she leaves to go to work in her mother's bakery, and her roommate expresses a little sort of disdain that she's going, Joanna says, Well, some of us have to work for a living. And this is said by Tori Spelling, who plays Joanna. So you can enjoy the irony in that. <laughs> and. The, so the movie begins with um, Tori plays Joanna. She meets a, a nice guy. Is it Jack? Jack is the guy, right? Her her boy, her boyfriend, sort of. I believe its name is Jack. Yes, its it? its name is Jack. Oh, is <laughs> yeah, Barry Watson <laughs> from uh, was it Second yes. Noah or Party of Five? I always get those mixed up. Because I think yes, Second Noah. He, and so she's kind of doing her thing, and she's studying, and she's working the bakery, and she meets this guy named Jack, clearly likes her, and he works at the college as like a TA or something like that, and she's doing her things, and she goes back to her dorm one day, and 
uh, uh, she's in her room and her her roommate is having a well not a party all her friends are hanging out and one of them's reading the paper or magazine and sees something about an escort service so one of uh, the roommate's friends calls up and says hi I'm Joanna I I'm gonna be the best escort you've ever had call me and Joanna's like no <laughs> and they don't think anything more of it and life continues on but but. Joanna's in the room when she gets a call from Kimberly. Hello? Joanna? Yeah? Kimberly of Paradise Escorts. You left a message? Hello? Is anybody there? Yeah, um... Look, my uh, roommate's friends were just goofing on me. <laughs> we should trade stories sometime. People put me through hell when I was in school. Listen, as long as I've got you on the phone, you should, um... Stop on by the beach house. We're gonna have a little party. Play some volleyball, drink my world-famous Bloody Marys. We're at 42210PCH. Um, you know, I really, I have a lot of homework to do. Come on, it'll be fun. And I promise, no one will goof on you. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Oh my God, let's go goofing so after a time joanna thinks hey i should go down to pch because it's really lovely there and check this out and she goes it's a beautiful beach house owned by a gentleman named ron and she meets kimberly kimberly's played by jerry ryan and uh they all hang out and so like hey what's going on this that and the other thing and and joanna meets uh like i believe it's, it's a doctor from new york and everyone seems very nice, and she goes out with this doctor from New York that evening, and they dance, and they go to dinner, and they go to a play. And when she comes back to the house, uh, Ron gives her a bunch of money. Hey, Joanna. Come on in. Have a good time? Yeah, but. What, just good or. <sighs> Fantastic. But I, I don't expect to get paid for it. I mean, there's $400 in here. You had a good time? He had a good time? Everybody's happy. I can't take money for it. Why? You only did what your girlfriends do for free. Well, I, I don't exactly see it that way. I just did it for fun. That's the best reason. You know, why not get paid for it, too? You know, some girls make $1,000 in one night. <sighs> you don't know me anything. Please. You'll hurt my feelings if you don't take it. And Andy's. Thank you. I don't think I realized there was that sexy saxophone that kicked in. I never heard that before. That's one of the joys of the audio clips is you get these little bits. Well, I love... No, thank you. I love the Foley with the ocean. Yes. And when I was doing these clips and playing them back, I was like, I could just listen to that ocean sound in the background. For... Oh, isn't that lovely? Yeah, it's so soothing. Put, put, put that on your iPod or your phone and just have that play uh, lull you to sleep. So, uh, Joanna, what, what happens from here is Joanna does ask, 
um, well, do I have to have sex with these guys? And she is told in no uncertain terms by Ron that it's up to her. Well, it may be less up to her than she thinks. As it goes along, we get sort of the, the plot line of she has a developing romance going on with Jack. And she's also going on more and more of these escort calls. And she is very reticent to have the sex. But eventually she ends up um, having sex in and around a hot tub with a gentleman. Uh, and uh, But that still doesn't free her of her sort of... She wants to pick and choose, and there are some problems with a guy that she doesn't want to sleep with, and Ron. Ron acts like he's not angry, but Ron has a gun in a drawer. And when you're talking to a, someone about something, and they open a drawer, and there's a gun in the drawer, it goes to another level. And so uh, Joanna um, begins going out on these calls, and having some more sex with guys that she isn't so thrilled with having sex with and the jack romance is going on and she's still she she's uh she's also joanna is also she's doing beautiful things with her hair i beautiful is only half in quotes <laughs> but but she's doing things with her hair and she's got great clothes and she buys her mom a scarf and her mom is sort of very mom-like about it instead of accepting it her mom is kind of oh, you shouldn't have bought this kind of thing and it the movie sort of builds and builds as it goes along to Ron sort of more or less eh, not quite insisting, insinuating that, yeah, you're, you're going to have to have the sex. That's going to be a thing. And you got to get rid of that boyfriend. We can't have him hanging around. And that's, this leads to Joanna missing, in quotes, one of Ron's calls. And Ron goes to visit Joanna and her mom, who I believe... It, Terry, I believe is her yeah. name. I could be wrong. I can't wrong. remember. It's yes. Susan Blakely is the actress who, whom I love. Yeah, it's yes. Terry. Yes, at at a um at at the bakery where they work, and it's all very skeezy. And Joanna ends up being sent to a sleazy ass motel with a guy like comes out and the wife beater. And he's like, "Hey, I paid fifty bucks for you," and and she she <laughs> runs away. And it all it it all culminates with Joanna going back to Ron to ask for. Um, uh, to ask to be let out of this agreement. See what happens when you don't behave? You get the cut-rate program. Go fix yourself. You look like hell. We need to talk. Well, we'd like some privacy. You can't scare me. I'm saying what I want to say scare you? Why would I want to do that? We have an understanding, don't we? I'm going to tell my mother everything. And if you try to hurt her or Jack or any of us, I will go to the police. And I don't want to. But I don't want to live my life in fear either. All I want is for you to let me go. Please, Ron. You and I, we can still be friends. Friends? Catch a movie, have a decaf espresso, that kind of thing? I don't want to hurt you. So I let you go, and you do what for me? I don't know. Repay you the money for all the clothes and stuff? <laughs> That's what I love about you, Joanna. In spite of everything, you still have this touch of innocence. Mmm, that's what turns a guy on. 
That's why you've been so good for business. I want to show you my appreciation. That's not necessary. Come on, Joanna. That's what this is about. Mm-hmm. Oh, Joanna, you know you want this. No, please. I want your bare ass on that couch now. I love that scene. Oh. <laughs> I love that scene. Oh. It's horrible. Like, I don't understand. He's a sleazy guy, but I, I feel like they escalated him really quickly there to make things seem better. Yes, super, yes yeah. And he, he, yeah, he attempts to uh, sexually assault her, and there's a gun, as I mentioned in the first act, and the gun is now used. Well, there's actually and... two guns, isn't there? Because... Um, oh, there because he says he's going to get the other gun. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What ends up happening is Ron is shot by Joanna. And the final sort of, uh, not quite full act of the movie, but the but the last portion is she is arrested and Ron says that she shot him premeditated. It was crazy. And Joanna at first says she wasn't there, but it, we all we go to court, and it all sort of culminates in a courtroom and excitement. Miss Helbert, what was your relationship to Ronald Tamlin? He uh, he was my my pimp. Sorry, I've never called him that before. Why? Lying to myself, I guess. You've been telling a lot of lies lately, haven't you, Joanna? Yes. You lied to the police, didn't you? Yes. You lied to me? Yes. Even to your own mother. Isn't that right? Yes. Why should we believe you now? I don't know. Maybe because I have nothing left to lose. I've hurt and humiliated my mother jeopardized my future and disgraced the memory of my father. What were your feelings about Ron? Well, uh, I was pretty knocked out by him at first. I mean, he was good-looking, smart, sophisticated. A guy like that had never given me the time of day before. Did you enjoy being a prostitute? I, I didn't think of it that way. I was an escort. It, it seemed very glamorous, like it did in the movies. I wore gorgeous clothes, went to fancy restaurants and parties. And I belonged. And Ron always said that I got paid to do exactly what my girlfriends all did for free. So my favorite part of that scene is when she first talks about Ron and she's like, well, he was really good looking and confident. And I was knocked out by him. I'd never met a guy like that. And then it cuts to Jack and Jack makes his face like, Hey, <laughs> look at me. I'm <laughs> right here lady. And it just, his reaction is so like natural to like, thanks lady. You know, I've only been dating you for like six months and stuck by, you, even though you're a prostitute, I'm sorry, Ron knocks you out. <laughs> Can I, and I, may I just say, if you're a friend, do you know what uh, friends of Joanna call her? Psycho. Jojo. Oh. I don't know. I have Jojo written oh. down in my notes, and that must be what they call it. Because, her. you know, this is based on a true story, and the girl's nickname was Psycho. 
yeah, it's a much different story than what we have here. Yeah, the breakdown sort of pretty much ends here. It's like, what's going to happen? Is she going away forever? Isn't she? What's going to happen? It's a courtroom thing. And we can discuss now... We like it. We don't like it. What, do you, Amanda? What do you think? I think you might like this one. I'm not. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. I'd rather have you go first because you've never seen this before, right? I had never seen this. before. Had you ever even until, heard of uh, it? I had heard of it because I own a book oh. <laughs> um, called "Are You in the House Alone?" Growing up with Gargoyles, Giant Turtles, Valerie Harper, The Cold War, Stephen King, Code Call Girls, a TV movie companion, 1964, 1999, edited by I don't recognize the yeah, name. Yeah, I don't either. But. You know, when I made the title for that book, I told the publisher I really wanted co-ed call girls in the subtitle. And that's mm-hmm. how we came up with that really long-winded subtitle. I'm not joking. <laughs> it's a great I title. told him I wanted co-ed call girls on the cover of the book somewhere. Well, I, I was going to say I had I had some criticisms of the movie. That's fine. But, but then but then I was I was reading a book that quote that here's a quote. There's nothing here that can't be criticized and trashed. But would anyone who sat down to see something called Coed Call Girl ever take it that seriously? <laughs> For pure campy entertainment value, this daffy telefilm hits all the right notes. And again, I don't recognize the name, but it's by some lady. And um, and so it's sort of like um, there are things you can criticize about Coed Call Girl, but I would like to um, uh, err on the side of the fun of the movie. And that is, um, uh, here's the thing, here's the thing with Tori Spelling. Here's the, here's the, there's my things with, with Tori Spelling. And, um, is, uh, and I was, oh, you know, you know, what's weird. I was talking with some coworkers today about Tori Spelling. Co-ed coworkers? Co-ed coworkers. I was talking with some co-ed coworkers (laughs) about Tori Spelling. And I actually have suddenly forgotten whether I mentioned this in the first half of the podcast or not. So if I have... Amanda, you stopped me. Did I mention my petticoat junction thing? No. Okay, good. All right, because I was just literally like an hour and a half before we started recording. I was we were talking Tori Spelling at work, and I said the thing I always thought with Tori Spelling was that you know obviously her dad's a huge producer, and she got her break through nepotism. That happened. That's Hollywood. That happens all the time. We all understand that. But I always sort of think of Linda K. Henning, mm-hmm. who played I, f- I forget which one of the Bobby Joes she Joe. played. She is she Bobby. She had the okay, boy's I name. Never... I think. Oh no, maybe she didn't. No, I you're th- right. I, they, there's Billy Joe, Bobby Joe, Bobby Joe, and Betty Joe. She's, I think she she's be Betty, I think she's Betty Joe. Joe. Yeah, I'm sorry. And so Linda, she's the redhead. Yes. And so Linda K. In the first few seasons of Petticoat Junction, was listed as her the actress's name was Linda K. But she was Linda K. Henning the producer's daughter and she was given the job because she was the producer's daughter. And the tricky thing I always thought when I, when I sort of, I always sort of semi equate the two. Why wouldn't you? Um, but the, the thing to me was in the first season of Petticoat Junction, which is very bucolic and charming, but not terribly funny. You can see moments in that season where Linda Kay is doing her thing and when she has to do emotions or something outside of just general line readings, she isn't that impressive. The other people around her, especially like B. Benaderet, for heaven's sake, who had been oh, on God. radio and TV yeah. for decades. You know, it's like when she delivers a line with Linda Kay there, it's like, okay, I don't mean to, but I'm better than you are at this. Um, 
But the thing with Petticoat Junction is that when you get to like the second season where Jay Summers, the guy who created Green Acres, takes over the writing and it becomes much funnier, suddenly Linda Kay becomes better. She begins to pick up her game. Uh, I haven't gone much beyond the third season of Petticoat Junction, but by the third season, Linda Kay's pretty darn good. And I think she's keeping up with everyone. The thing with Tori from Beverly Hills 90210 and the TV movies I've seen her in, I feel like she's given it her all. She's doing her best. She knows all her lines, which is a definite, definite plus. But somewhere in there, she never advanced sort of beyond where she was when she began. Now, this may be different now. If I were to watch that she was in a Christmas movie a couple of years ago with like two glee clubs fighting it out. <laughs> yes. She might be different. She might be different in that, but I always felt like all the things I've seen her in she was in the same spot acting-wise. She's very she she does a good job at sort of straightforward stuff, but the moment she has to go like I mentioned with Death of a Cheerleader, she does a face on the steps when she's running from Angie where I couldn't tell what emotion that's meant to be. And there are moments in co-ed call girl where she's like, "Uh," it's like, "Uh, I don't, you're not quite, it's like everyone else is having to sort of pick up the slack because she's not quite there. Now, do I dislike that? No, I, I, you know, I watch a lot of movies with acting like that. That doesn't bother me. But it, it, it always, it's, it's always interesting to me. Like when I watch this, that she, uh, her, her, her Joanna character. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff she does in this movie, but then there are occasional moments, especially when she has to like show distaste or in the final courtroom scene when she has to show high emotion, where it's like I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, she's about to break down into tears here. But she doesn't quite. And she kind of gets to the point where you think, okay, now it's going to happen. Uh, then she's different in the next shot. And it's, um, and it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I like her, but I'm not, um, sort of, mm, I don't know. I don't want to say, like, not uh, completely enamored with her. I, I think she's very charming and she's trying her hardest. But I just think like she never, eh, never, never quite gets there. Now, now, the thing that Coed Call Girl does that's awesome is Coed Call Girl. You would think might be a little sleazy, might be a little dark, might be a little rough to watch. It's not, not at <laughs> no. all. It's it's like literally what they've done is they've like they've they've taken the story. It's like if the story was a lake. They have taken out everything but the surface. And so like the the movie is like you throw a rock at the lake and it just skips across the top and that's what it is. You know, it's yeah. like the the pimp like 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 Ron is the pimp. He's a little rough, but he's not that rough. And the scenes where she goes to hang out with the Johns and has to sleep with them, they're not that bad. And the courtroom scenes are not that bad. And it's kind of charming because it has a, there's a brevity to the movie that is, that, that, that makes up for any deficiencies that may, may, may come out of it. And I think that make it, that I think, I watched it twice and, um, and some of it did, like even taking notes, a lot of notes, some of it did kind of just pass me by. I was like, ooh, it didn't, like <laughs> some of it didn't register. Well, but it is, overall, it is like a, a montage of her being going out on dates. 
And yes, there, and there are several montages. Yeah, and yeah. it's kind of yeah. hard to figure out like, well, who's this guy and what's happening because they're just introduced so briefly. And then, and then she's on a date yes. with Jack. And then she sees her mom at home and she buys her gift and they get in a fight. And then she goes on another date. And it's like a lot of the same thing for a little bit in the middle. So I could see where somebody who isn't me <laughs> might not like be totally glued to the set. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm not, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think you picked the perfect word oh, no. for not just Tori, but for the film. And that, surprisingly enough, a movie called Coed Cowgirl is absolutely charming. Yeah, that's weird. Even this, this, the sequence with, where he tries to, where, where Ron tries to rape her is, is like, it's almost a rough scene. Right. But it's not quite because the way they sort of shoot it, it's like, okay, oh, she's going to get the gun, you know? And it's, it's like, okay. And it's, 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 it's the most charming film about a co-ed call girl. <laughs> and again, Co coeds, right? They they are officially gals. I think I think coed means well. I think that's what it implies, but I think coed mm. means coeducational in the terms of it's supposed to be boys and girls. But I think you're right. That term came about because women were going to school. Okay, yeah, that's something that I've been hung up on for um, most of my life. <laughs> you should term. research that. The you ter- need to get the Oxford Dictionary and like go back to the etymology <laughs> of that and figure out what happened. <laughs> Well, I, I always go off of what is it? I, I think I mentioned this episodes ago. What is it? Blood cult. Yeah. Starts off with like a scroll that says like the co-ed killings. I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, they're all killing just, just women. Oh, okay. It's just. Mm. That's interesting because so you're to... right. I think the root of that is feminine. Like in the 50s yeah, or, like or 40s or women something. Yeah, like were going to schools that were traditionally male colleges, which was every college probably. But, but. The way it's used now, I think when they say co-ed, they mean both men and women. So it kind of it started with the emphasis on the woman, but then they just meant now it's like it's mixed with both genders. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that they used it for like a mid '90s TV movie. Well, I. I mean, it's a it's a great name. There's some great alliter- alliteration in there. Yeah, but. I think. Well, I also I I don't know if this is the name of the the book either because there's a book called co-ed call girl murder but i think that's about a call girl that gets murdered oh. so i mean that was okay. that title was everywhere okay. back then it sounds like now what i know you you you're a fan of this movie am i correct in that <laughs> assumption yeah now so i don't remember when i first saw this movie but it wasn't in its original run which is unfortunate i think i saw it on lifetime like i saw so many of these and I just loved it. It was so, I think the word you said that I had in the review was daffy. And it is, it's really like silly. It's a little stupid probably. Like if you try to think about it too deeply, it's ridiculous. It's pure escapism. It's something that I think her dad, Aaron Spelling would have made if he was interested in making TV movies in the nineties. It just has that feel to it. It has that very light, breezy, fun feel to it, which just makes it so funny that it's, uh, based on a true story about a girl named Psycho who wow. shot her pimp. And by the way, um, she didn't do it because she needed money or because she felt lost. She did it for kicks. She came from a very rich family, the original oh, girl, oh. and she liked the excitement of being a call girl. And mm-hmm. um, that the story about her being assaulted, I think there's a lot of scrutiny over that because no charges were ever filed against her pimp for mm-hmm. anything that he supposedly did to her, and she was acquitted oh. of her crime. So I, I don't know the story that well, but I feel like a lot of it's speculation. But just the fact that her nickname was Psycho, 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, she yeah. obviously is not, I don't think she was pre-med either. I, I mean, I don't really know, mm-hmm. but, um, but for her, it was for the real girl. It was more like she liked getting in on the action for Joanna. It was, they, well, it's almost in a lot of ways like death of a cheerleader because she is pre-med. So I think my original assumption when I saw the movie was that she needed the money to further her educational career. But mm-hmm. by the end of it, we realize it's because she wanted people to pay attention to her and to want her as an yes. object and to wear beautiful clothes. And like there was something that was missing inside her and she wanted more like Kelly Martin's character, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting, yeah. but that doesn't really come out till like, um, towards the, the end. Very end. Yeah. 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 And so, um, maybe if they had taken that seed of a thought and, spread it out over the entire film, it would have been a more compelling film in terms of drama. Mm-hmm. But as it stands, yes. as it is, it is just a wonderful little pot boiler. It's just this thing that came, they probably shot it in like three weeks and they were like, let's throw everything into the pot. We've got a call girl. We've got this yeah. pimp. We've got, let's get her Johns in here. And the only thing that's I missing mean, is she's not addicted to drugs. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, sure. And, yeah, and yeah. so she doesn't fall too far from where she started, which is kind of interesting too. But like there, it, it just felt like everybody was like, let's just have a blast. Let's take this really horrible, true story and let's and just hit the hit the, hit the yeah hit the high points and just oh we forgot like the it's it's like oh we didn't make the the pimp rough enough okay we'll do it in the last scene don't worry about yeah, it yeah we'll do this mm-hmm. and and it's just it's so light and airy and so when i rewatched it for this podcast i was like and i posted this on twitter i was like tori is like potato chips to me i can't watch one tory movie so i ended up watching i only ended up watching half of it because it was kind of late i put on alibi which is another tv movie i think it was the last tv movie she made in the 90s and uh it's so good um and i was like okay i gotta get my copy of awake to danger and i'm gonna pull out my copy of daily pursuits and i have another movie on here i think it's mother may i sleep with danger and um and so i was i just i love her movies they all i think death of a cheerleader is the deepest of her films or tv movie career but in the 90s anyway uh, Koa Call Girl just hits all the right notes in terms of just being fun, and it's like it's like it's like candy. Yes, it's, it's like it just keeps keeps giving you a new piece of candy every scene. You're like, oh, now this scene, now this scene, and it never it you and you don't. It's not like Born Innocent where you feel bad as it goes deeper in. This you just you're just like, hey, we're all having a good time here. Yeah, it's just fun. More more or less fun. There's no there's mm-hmm. no real depth to it, and. And that's fine. And, you know, those movies need to exist because we all need a break from the real world. And so uh, I just find that of all of the Tory films that I've seen, and I've seen all of the movies she made in the 90s, this is the one that I keep going back to over and over again. It's just the one I like to sit down with and, like, you know, have a drink Mm -hmm. and, like, kind of laugh and have fun. And I love the montages. I love, like, so things we need to talk about. We need to talk about her, her lip liner. Because yes. that is the co-star of the film. Forget about everybody else we mentioned. It, her lip liner is, even by 90 standards, is intense. I mean, like, Madonna took the lip liner to a new <laughs> level when she did Erotica. But Tori takes it even three steps higher than that. Like, I've never seen that much lipstick. Like, it's like she doesn't have lips anymore. It's just like these two blocks of, like, bronze. Yes. On her lips. Yeah. And the things they do to her hair. So when the movie starts, she's wearing a wig and she's got that really white hair. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's a wig at first. Uh And so she's got this like, you know, Tori's hair is very um, thick and white. 
And so they keep it like that. It's very thick and white at the beginning, and it looks very natural to her. But then they do this makeover montage, which is horrible because they destroy. <laughs> she looks so cute with the long hair. And then they cut it to her shoulders to make her more vampy. But it looks like it's just so solid. Like they just spray paint the hell or, or hairspray the hell out of it for the, you know what I mean? For like the next yes. 45 yeah. minutes or whenever her montage is. But the makeup and clothing montage is so much fun because it's just like two minutes of her with that happy music playing finding her inner, you know, glamour girl. And, like, what girl at that age doesn't have that fantasy of, like, having this really pretty sort of mentor played by Jerry Ryan, who's gorgeous, right? Um, yes. Yeah. That, that, yeah, it's one of the tricky moments, too, where, you, like, you start to sort of get into Tori, and then she's standing next to Jerry Ryan, and you're like, oh, yes, okay. <laughs> well, oh. That's, that's what I'm talking about, about, like, where Tori's not the standard beauty jerry ryan yes. fits all of the right they're, they're both great yeah tori tori looks like her tori looks like her dad she does very much look like her dad with those big eyes and like and i really like mm -hmm. that but like it's not typical of what we were seeing on tv back then as, as and now mm -hmm. especially but um mm -hmm. like um jerry ryan is the beginning of the hyper stylized beautiful woman that kind of we see now but uh, but she's gorgeous, and that's not to play down her looks. When I say she's hyper stylized, it's just that she's perfect. It really, was what it comes down to. Like I can't think of anything that's wrong with Jerry Ryan. And I went on her Twitter mm -hmm. yesterday, and she looks the same. And I'm not how sure. I'm not quite sure how that <laughs> happened, but she's lovely. She's got a little kid, and she seems really sweet. But everybody, I think, like okay, I'm, I don't want to speak for all girls who at 19, but I know when I was 19, I certainly wanted like that older woman who was really cool to like take me to uh -huh. Judy's and Contempo casuals or wherever you go and show me what the <laughs> right clothes were, you know what mm. I mean? And what the right hairstyle was that I needed mm -hmm. to, to be attractive to like these really well-to-do guys. Mm -hmm. And, and so like that scene is so fantasy and it's, it's just so light and fun and I love it. I love when they cut her hair because like they destroy it. And then she's in the mirror yeah. and she's like, oh, yeah. And she's like, they just destroyed your hair, Tori. What did they do? <laughs> but the, the way they what? put it up in the film, like the when she goes to see the pianist, or that I guess he's a composer. Thing yeah. He's, or I guess he's a conductor, is what he is. I guess he's a pianist and a conductor. He's a conductor, yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what they did to her hair, if it was really her hair, but it looks impossible. And it looks like if she jumped out of the window and landed on her head, she would survive. <laughs> you know what I mean? As long as she had that to break her fall, the hair would save her. It was so horrendous, and with that lip liner, it was. Oh, oh that lip I liner! I don't know what to do. I well, can I? Can I? I just let me pull back the curtain just for one second. In in that, I I emailed you earlier in the day to say, um, hey, during that sequence where she has sex with the guy in the hot tub, that's Ron, right? <laughs> and you said. No, no, that's that actual John they get for her. And I was like, what? And I went back and I watched the scene again. And you were right, but I was distracted by how huge her <laughs> lip liner was. I literally couldn't stop looking at her lip liner. Oh, it's intense. It's That's why I called it her co-star. There's a caption in the book where I actually said Tori and her lip liner starring Chloe <laughs> Caldwell. Because it's so distracting it's wonderful is what it is but it's like it's crazy and i don't understand i don't understand who even by by 1990 standards thought that that was okay it's that was crazy <laughs> but i mean it's like pay 
page 286, by the way, is where that picture and caption is, folks. If you look, I really love that photo. It's like my favorite picture. That is a fun photo. It's so great. Like she, I love that she like she really. So Tori was um, not only was she very self aware of things people were saying around her and stuff, but you know she's a horror movie fan too, and. Yes. And she said before Scream 2, way before Scream 2 came out, that she wanted to be in a horror movie. And it was really funny that she played herself in uh, Scream 2. And she has a real great sense of humor about herself, I think, and about like who she is mm-hmm. and who, where she comes from. And so when I watch these films, I agree with you, maybe she's not the strongest actress in the world, but there's something mm-hmm. about her that uh, I find really attractive and alluring in many ways. Like, I love to watch her in things. I think she's having fun, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And, yeah, she's definitely having. And fun I here. think, I think if you're not a great actor, if the effort's there, and I feel like you're really into what you're doing, it makes up for a lot, you know. And mm-hmm. and I just find it. So I think, so I really like Shannon Doherty's TV movies, and I think Shannon Doherty's uh, a way better actress. But I don't necessarily yes. think her movies are better than Tori's because mm-hmm. they're not as fun. She has a couple, we'll get to them, trust me, that um, are really great, but they came really early on in her career. And then the later film, she was very careful to choose characters that were smarter and a little more together and not as emotional. I think she was trying to, to uh-huh. play opposite of how she was being portrayed as, as a person, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they're good films, but Tori just threw herself into them. She's like, I'm going to be a call girl. Sure. Here I am, you know? And you do this to my hair and do this to my lips and put me in this really, really short dress and drop me off at Sunset Boulevard and let's just Mm -hmm. do it. And it's just so it's kind of contagious, I think, is what Tori is. She's she's contagious. She's like a disease. (laughs) She's like a wonderful (laughs) disease. Well, there's that great moment, too, where um, she in the well, uh, discuss the let's discuss the real quick, just the final scene where she is acquitted of shooting Ron and she walks out of the courtroom with her mom, and she is wearing this red dress. It's like the short, world's what shortest is she red wearing dress for to acquittal. Court for her sentence. <laughs> it was, it, the first dress was very proper. It was blue yeah, and, and polka and, dots and very cute. Yeah. This one, not appropriate. And her, her, her acquittal dress. Yeah, it's a <laughs> super short red dress. And her mom's even in, in a short red dress. And, and not a red dress, short, short dress, too. And, and, and so like the two of them are walking out of the courtroom and it suddenly goes into slow-mo and Jack appears from the, like the, uh, like enter stage right. And he takes, uh, Joanna's hand and they're walking, but in the background, Ron is standing there. And this is a scene I didn't fully understand. And, uh, uh, Joanna looks back at Ron and Ron, who she shot twice and who brought her to court and that kind of and who was her pimp has this big smile on his face like see you next summer or something like that i don't know what he's doing and joanna's looking at him and then joanna looks looks forward and the last shot of the movie is the three of them going in slow-mo towards us and unfortunately the copy i watched was a little hazy and i couldn't quite see what her reaction was to this pimp is got a big smile at me like he's he's it's a little crazy don't ask me what the ending means because i don't know either and i like that's why i like the ending because i think i think you might be right like he's so egotistical i think to a point that he's like you'll be back 
Yeah, yeah, possibly. Like, I don't care that I have a bullet in the back of my head. Oh, You'll be back. Yeah, you, you know you enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, and so I think that's it. And I feel like she's looking sort of pensive about it. But then she's with her family and and things mm-hmm. are going to be okay. I mean, that's my understanding of the ending. But it's I it's really it's- vague and weird. Um, but I kind of I think it fits into the movie as a whole because the movie's so off. Yes, because the movie is so weird too. The way it jumps. I mean, there's the thing with like the mom where during the first two thirds of the movie, the mom her the mom's first priority is the bakery. Right. The second priority, which is about I don't know ten or twenty like levels away, is her daughter. Right. There, there. You you never get the feeling until the very end that she really kind of gives a crap about her daughter. I mean, she does, but but it's sort of like, it's very like, eh, are you going to be here at the bakery on time? Why did you tell this person that we could have this right. done by there? You can't, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's this weird thing where it's like the mom seems to be, seems to not care. Well, uh, 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 but then at the very end, Joanna, when she almost breaks down, she says, I didn't want my mom to know and things like that. And I was watching that going, really, why do you care? Your mom doesn't seem to care about you. But then I realized that's the joy of the movie <laughs> because I'm, I'm like two steps behind where the writers and everyone else is. I I was trying to see this in a sort of like a human byline, but this movie is screwball. It is screwball. So you need to you need you need to adapt each each scene requires you to adapt to what the scene is saying, not what the previous scenes well, may have told. I think it's and that's what makes it interesting. I think it is telegraphed a little early on, but you're right because like there are moments where she's like, you, there's a boy on the phone, you know what I mean? And like, she's kind of mm-hmm. being a good mom, but she has kind of this, they don't really go into it enough, but she has a very tragic life. You know, she was a cellist or something and her husband died. He was also yes. a famous musician mm-hmm. and she had to give up music to support her daughter. So she opened up this bakery. So I guess she was also really good at cooking. And, um, and so her life is basically getting up at three in the morning, slogging to the bakery, making however many crepes yes, you have to make. Donuts and, yeah. 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 And then going home at like nine o'clock at night. And, and so she's, and I think the goal is that she's supporting her daughter, but she's supporting her in, all, in some of the wrong ways. Like, yes, she's supporting her financially. She's helping her get through medical school, but, or pre-med, mm-hmm. I guess at this point, but she's not supporting her. She's leaving her alone basically. And the character is kind of introverted and doesn't feel very good about herself. So she, it's not like she goes out looking for support from other people. So she tries to get it from her mom and her mom's not giving it to her. And, but then there's that scene to your point in when she first gets arrested and her mom comes to visit her at the jail and they're talking through the glass. And, yes. I just, that was just playing. And, on and she's TV. like, I'm so glad your father's dead. And that's a horrible thing to yeah. say to somebody. But then, yeah. But then, a little later on, when they have the lawyer, and he's, she had been lying about, oh, I wasn't there, and this didn't happen. Yes, and, yeah. and then finally, she's like, I totally lied to you. And then he's like, okay, well, what happened? And in that scene, she kind of explains. She starts to explain why she did what she did. And then I think the mom comes to a realization. She's like, well, I always thought you were special and you were beautiful. And she's like, well, that's not enough. But the thing is, is that that might have been enough if she had really put herself out there for her daughter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I got the feeling that the mom was, was putting, 
uh, well, I mean, the thing is, Joanna's working her ass off at her mom's bakery, so I don't know if it's fully mom is putting her through school. But, right, but yeah. I just got the feeling like, like, like mom was doing it because that's her daughter, and and that's what you do, right, for your daughter. You do you do that, and it's it's sort it's it's so tricky because at like I said at the very end when Joanna breaks down in the stand she breaks down and it's all about her mom and things like that and I didn't get any of that from the movie prior to, yeah uh, uh, may, maybe a glimmer here or there but but that might be pushing and it's one sided too I mean like yeah whatever Joanna's lacking inside we don't really even know about it till like two thirds of the way into the film. That that's part of the. I mean, I mean, when you when you when you actually sit down and watch the movie, it's like, why does she become a call girl? Well, she picks up a phone and Jerry Ryan's on the other end and says, "Come on down," and she says, "No, I can't." And then she's studying in the library and she sees like a number or an ad- she sees the address on a piece of paper, and she goes down and she becomes a call girl. And it's like it's like the writers are like it's almost like we we're this is a. We're gonna have Tori Spelling. We're we're trying her out to star in a movie, so we just let's assemble a script from whatever we got lying around. Hey, she could be a call girl. <laughs> All right. Hey, she could work in a bakery. Hey, they just throwing bits and pieces together. But that's part of the fun of the movie. But that's also part of the thing that if you try to the one the uh, here I'll, I'll go to the one deeper thing about the movie the uh, checkoff stuff. From Star Trek, um, there was a scene. <laughs> you you're bringing up Jerry Ryan. What, oh. what Jerry Ryan? She was in Deep Space Nine, or I don't remember, but yeah, she was on a Star Trek. Um, so there's a sequence in there where where Joanna is deep into the I'm making lots of money. I'm I'm feeling somewhat. I guess somewhat better about myself, feeling more secure or whatever it is. And she's sitting in a class where they're discussing Chekhov's a doll's oh, house. Okay. And she's sitting in there and they do they they pull a Halloween on us. They also, for you fans of Halloween, there's a Halloween ripoff called Offerings. Oh, I love that movie. From nineteen eighty six. I love Offerings so much. Where they do the exact same scene but with a different thing. Because in Halloween there's a sequence where Jamie Lee Curtis isn't paying attention during a class and she's asked a question about some uh piece i forget if it's a play or a piece of literature uh, it's it's hamlet and offerings why did i why do i not remember what it is in halloween but i remember oh but they're talking about offerings. fate in halloween but i don't remember who fate, the... yes fate yes exactly yeah and and so and jamie lee curtis's character is kind of looking out the window distracted by the fact that freaking Michael Myers is looking at her from outside the school. And offerings is sort of the same thing. The gal isn't paying attention while the class is going on. And the teachers ask them a question, which you think for a moment the characters are going to sort of get embarrassed on. But they answer it like like that. It's like, oh, it's fate and da-da-da. Oh, Hamlet was referring to this in Offerings, you know. Oh, Hamlet wasn't in Offerings. That's, <laughs> that would have been um, so good, the though. The question was about Hamlet. But but that's the exact same thing that happens here. Um, what does the door closing mean in a doll's Chekhov's a doll's house? And Joanna isn't paying attention. She's asked the question, and she answers it perfectly. The, the slamming of the door is the ending of one life and the beginning of another, which, of course, is symbolic for what's happening to Joanna. Huh. That's interesting. But then they don't really follow that up from a doll's house. But what they do is about 15 minutes later, 
um, when the first time Joanna refuses to sleep with a guy, Ron opens a drawer with a gun in it. And what is Chekhov's rule? If you put, if you, if you show a gun above, if, if you show a gun above a fireplace in the first act, you must fire that gun by the third or fourth act. And so suddenly it's like, even though we're not referring to the thing, same things uh, Chekhov-wise, we get Chekhov's symbolism for Joanna's life in, in the doll's house scene in class. And then we get a gun that is indeed fired later on. Would in this movie. count as like a paper for a comparative literature class? I, I don't... Here's the thing. The, the thing about Coed Call Girl is Coed Call Girl to me is it's pure, it's taffy, it's peanut butter cups, it's cotton candy, it's the best ice cream in a big bowl. That you It's a, it's your favorite Ben and Jerry's pint and you're just sitting there eating it. It's joyous. But this checkoff thing, which doesn't fully make sense, <laughs> appears in the movie. And I, I don't know. It's like someone was like, oh, we'll have checkoff in here. And then the gun. Well, if we have the gun, the gun has to be fired later I on don't, because that's checkoff's I don't know if they made the connection past the book, which you pointed out, and the gun. I mean, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like. Possibly, but it's it's so like the just the fact that there are so many other playwrights or novelists or poets you could have referred to to make that point in the scene with Joanne in the class, but you chose the one playwright who said you have a gun in Act One, you fire the gun in Act Three, and that's exactly what happens in the movie. And I watched it and I thought, what, what, what are they up to? There's something deeper going on here. I watched it a second time. I couldn't figure out what that deeper thing was. I think I'm full of crap. But, but, it's something to think about. <laughs> anyone, anyone listening, if you're, if you're Chekhov scholars, because I am not, if you know what's going on, please write in. Or if you're a fan of offerings, we can all get together and talk about offerings. Right. So that's my that's the only deep thing I have from Coed Call Girl. I don't have any deep things, and I've seen this movie a thousand times. <laughs> there's there's nothing deep happening in this movie, and that's exactly the way it should be. Awesome, awesome. It's just uh, her with her big curly hair on top of her head and her huge lips. And those big eyes, yeah. And those big packing <laughs> heat, shooting yes, pimps. Exactly. Yeah, that's how you do it in TV land because exactly that's fun. That's fun movie making. And exactly. you walk away and like, I think for some people, Coed Call Girl is the kind of movie they watch and half an hour later, maybe they totally forgot they'd just seen it, but mm. it's just there for your pleasure. It's just there to take you out of your life. It is it is something that Aaron Spelling would be very proud <laughs> to have made himself. I fully <laughs> believe that. Now, Aaron Spelling hated being mm. called the Cotton Candy King, you know, and his mm -hmm. and he had a lot of very progressive ideas in his shows. Sure. So yeah. it might be unfair to say that, but he also was willing to escapism too, because for everything I yes. think he did that was progressive in Love Boat, he also wanted people to feel like they could look inside the world of glamour for a while too, because so many people yeah. will never have that. And so, sure. um, so yes, he's fighting ageism and like he's doing this and that and stuff on his on Love Boat in particular, but he's also like, hey, check out that fur coat, you know? <laughs> and he's in, you know, yeah. and I feel like this movie is the fur coat. Okay, yeah, I I just yeah, it, it was like, like I said the the first time I watched it, I I really sort of thought, what the hell am I watching? But then the second <laughs> time I realized, the second time I realized, oh no, we're just we're just we're just we're taking something that could be 
born innocent, heart wrenching. And yes. we're just having we're just having fun with it. We're just having fun with it. You know, there's nothing there's nothing nothing goes on past the point where you think, Oh God. Ugh. Everything goes on exactly as long as it needs to and then ends. Yes. And then goes on to the next thing. And, and so, you know, to- Tori's game and everyone else is, 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 is doing their doing their business and everything's happening and it all ends in Tori in that little red skirt with her strange look on her face and you can you can go away um you know, feeling mm, that's a little obscure or a little strange or not. You can you know. I would love co ed call girl too. What's Tori up to right now? Can we um can we contact her? She, is she on Twitter? She's on Instagram and Twitter, yeah. I was just on her Instagram. Her Instagram is all about her. She has like five kids. She just had another baby. And oh my yeah, gosh. and when you go on her Instagram, what's really interesting is uh her mother is also on Instagram. And uh-huh. Candy What's her what's her name? Like Dolly Candy? Candy Dolly Candy, Candy. Candy spelling. Okay. And her Instagram <laughs> is like I would say seventy percent Aaron spelling. It's really nice. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. That's lovely. He's he he never he never quite got the he he's the full. He's never gone away. He's never he'll never be fully. No, no, out. he shouldn't. No. And I just love like she posted her wedding picture to him, and it's really sweet. Oh. And so, um, I have a real soft spot for those spelling people. I think, I think they're. I think Randy Spelling, who is Tori's brother, is a very good actor. I think that they're wonderful. I think that that's a. They were a really bizarre family in that they were so ridiculously rich. They lived in that hundred room mansion, and who sure. can imagine what it's like to grow up as a Spelling? But mm-hmm. they're. They also like their main goal is like, hey, let's have a good time, guys. Yeah, I guess let's try to let's try to entertain since we have the, um, since that was that's what we have. Let's try to entertain. Yes. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't begrudge them that. No, no. What, they're, what they've done there, they're the best. So. So wherever you are, Aaron, we love you. We, yes. Yes. And, and Tori, um, we're going to, we're going to tell you that we've done this episode. We'd love you to listen and we hope you had a good time. <laughs> we love Tori. So let me, let me give you some background on, um, this movie, yes. Coed Call Girl. It originally aired February 6th, 1996 on CBS. So I think IMDb says February 11th, but every time I back into newspapers, it's the 6th. So I'm not sure how they got that date. Uh, just to clarify in case people look up the air dates, cause they're curious to see if I'm actually correct <laughs> on them <laughs> i do notice that the air date is wrong on uh, imdb for this it ran against uh t- another tv movie on fox called america's most wanted if looks could kill which i think was a true crime story uh with antonio uh-huh. sabato oh. it also ran against home improvement ch- on abc champs and nypd blue and on nbc was uh frazier J- the john larroquette show and dateline nbc and as i said this was based on a real life story of a woman uh named elizabeth dugan the victim was Robert Stoudinger, and uh, he was supposedly shot because he owed Elizabeth over $2,300, and she was acquitted. Good Lord. This was shot in Mar Vista in L.A., California. Oh, Sounds sure, like Santa yeah, Mira, yeah. doesn't it? And no, Yeah, I've been to Mar Vista. My friend Kevin J. Jolly, the J stands for Jolly, used oh, to live in Mar awesome. Vista. Yeah. It scored low in the ratings, garnering an 8.6-14 share, and came in third for the night. Uh, if Looks Could Kill actually rated lower, coming in fourth with a 7.3-11 share for the evening. Um, this was one of three, uh, which I mentioned earlier, TV movies that Tori made in 1996. Uh, the other two were Deadly Pursuits, where she plays the lap dancer, 
And then the third one was Mother May I Sleep with Danger, which is her most iconic film and my least favorite of all the Tory films. And I reviewed it in the book. So if anybody picks up the book, they can read it. It's not really worth going into. Everybody loves it except me. So if you're going to go into Tory land and discover her TV movies, that's a must just for the title. Uh, Co-ed was actually part of a February sweeps. And I think I wrote about this in my review, so I won't go too much into it. But it was like a really weird sweeps period because they had This Is Looks Could Kill. And they also had, uh, it was a Hallmark movie with Robert Sean Leonard about these mentally retarded people living in a house together. The Boys Next yeah. Door, Brothers Promise, the Dan Jensen story. Yeah, so it had like this like really stealthy, heavy drama. And then it had Coed Call Girl. And it seems like they may be misfired with Coed because it didn't do very well and neither did the Antonio Sabato movie so the, the people were maybe moving away from that by 96 I'm not sure we talked about this earlier with Nate but it comes up later because uh, we're editing him in after we talk about this movie but Scott Plank who played Ron died in 2002 I guess his last movie was Holes and that movie was dedicated oh yes. yeah the movie yeah. was dedicated yeah. to him he actually came from a theater background and was an original cast member of dream girls and he had appeared in miami vice but it had also been in the la film uh, i'm sorry the tv film la takedown which was written and directed by michael mann and is probably best known as the small scale version of Mann's fully realized film heat so he mm. actually did it as a tv movie first and then he did some stuff with it and then made it heat and uh scott playing stars in that uh, director Michael Rhodes would go on to direct some 90210s after he made this. Um, this was Alan Leach, I think that's his last name, uh, last screenplay. But he had also written Lady in a Corner with Loretta Young, which is, I think, a really good TV movie about a woman who's trying to run a magazine. She's a little older, and I think they're trying to push her out. And Brian Keith, I think is his name. Um, is that the guy with from Six You Get Egg Girl and Family Affair? Yeah, yes, yeah. I think he mm -hmm. plays her love interest, and uh, it's a really good movie. It was on Netflix for a while, but they took it off. And he also wrote the TV movie about Adam Walsh, which was called Adam. Oh, and nice. reflecting on her part in Coed Call Girl, uh, Entertainment Weekly wrote this. Spelling soon owned the woman in peril genre. In a wake to danger, she emerged from a coma with amnesia. Daily Pursuits found her working for the mob. Call Girl veered slightly into different directions. Spelling played Joanna, a brainy student hustling for extra cash. Tori says, I was like, oh, I get to play a hooker. Yes. Every girl deep down wants to play a whore. <laughs> right after we filmed my first bed scene, the producer said, Tori, it's network TV. You can't show your tongue. I was so mortified. I <laughs> love her. Um, also, at some time later, Entertainment Weekly did their list of their favorite like hookers on TV, and Coed Call Girl came in their top ten. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, good times. Good. Well done. Well <laughs> <Yes>. done. <laughs> Yeah, it was really exciting. So, um, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, and and we'll go ahead. We'll play Nate's segment. So yes, let's do that. And now it's time for Five Minutes with Nate. For my five minutes, I have to say that now, of course, I did prefer Death of a Cheerleader, but that's only because, um, I mean, I've been a big fan of it for so long. But I was really glad that you chose uh, Co-Ed Call Girl because I had a lot of fun with this one. I mean... It's fun to me that, like, it, the movie to me moves at a very quick pace. Before the hour mark, we've got her friends play the little prank on her where they call the escort service, and then she she kind of goes to a little party, and she kind of gets you know into this whole lifestyle, and, you know, she starts doing, you know, like, all these things, uh, you know, like, and then she becomes an escort, of course. And, I mean, and then, of course, she deals with a crazy piano player, <laughs> I mean, that guy was crazy. Yeah. I'm telling you, he was nuts. I love that guy. 
<laughs> I'll play you strip. Yeah. I'd stand there. No, over there. <laughs> oh, so classical music fans, they're the worst. You know that he was he was uh Max on One Life to Live, he was the second Max when the original actor left. Oh, I did not know that. He's super cute. I would have stripped for him. <laughs> you would have. Yes. That's a sound clip we need to carry <laughs> on. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, like, um, and then, you know, of course, her wanting to leave and, you know, and, and all of that. And, uh, of course, then it ends up, you know, where, um, of course, her boss is a complete you know, bad guy. I mean, he's a really bad guy. I mean, you know, maybe he should have dated. I mean, if Stacey Lockwood had been a character in this movie, they would have been perfect <laughs> for each other. <laughs> Could you could you imagine if that had been the movie where when when Joanna calls the uh, when Joanna gets the call from is it Kimberly I think who's the woman who calls her back what if it had been Stacy and it was a split screen kind of thing <laughs> with Tori on one crazy. side and Tori on the other she'd be like she'd be like she go hello <laughs> she's like Joanne like are you coming or are you gonna hang at home like a strut <laughs> are you calling from a rotary phone ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Do not show up in thrift store clothing, <laughs> please. Um, but yeah, the so yeah, the crazy piano player and, and and all this stuff happens. Like I said, before the hour mark, and she's you know shot her boss, and you know, of course she shoots him. <laughs> but I mean, like all this stuff happens before even the first hour. So I mean, how can you not enjoy this movie? Like it's just cram packed with all kinds of craziness. I was curious about one thing though. You both remember the scene, you know, where she buys her mom that really expensive. Was it a jacket, a, a coat? Oh. It was a scarf. It, yeah. And, of course, the mom yeah, like is said, trying yeah. to give her some, you know, motherly wisdom. And, of course, she gets angry about it. My question is, what did you both think about that scene? Because I could, you know, I could see both points of view, but I could still kind of see why Joanna might be a little upset about it. Because her point of view is, um, I bought you a nice gift. Just say thank you. <laughs> like, why are you going to make yes, an election? I, yes. Yeah, I yeah that my exact thought on that too. Mom, mom needs to calm down. Yeah, every once in a while. Yeah, I didn't think I think mom was an issue in this film. Like, not a she certainly wasn't a bad mom, uh, just like in the first film. But she like, first of all, maybe she got the scarf on sale. You know what I mean? Or maybe like something happened where she like had a plan to pay for it with layaway, and so she paid for it over months. Like she doesn't know how she acquired the scarf and. Yeah. Just take it because it's a really nice gift and your daughter is trying to do something nice for you. And you know what? 19-year-old daughters don't always do nice things for their parents. So yes. appreciate the fact that not only does she I remember. Yeah, I remember when I was a 19-year-old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was hard. It was, it was really tough. hard, it was guys. Tough. It was very tough. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, if, it was, you know, if it was Stacy, she would have just bought that coat for herself. Yeah, she would have. Yeah. Look, so, Mom, Joanna look what I bought. Nicer. Don't I look really nice in this, Mom? <laughs> oh, did you want one too, Mom? Oh, my bad. <laughs> I use your credit card, Ma, so I can I can go get another one. Yeah. Um, but you know, Joanne is a much nicer character, I have to say. Um, mm -hmm. But no, I mean, like I said, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I thought there was a you know like there was a lot going on in it. Um, I thought that the actor that played um, her boss, his name escapes me at the moment. Um, oh, I thought he did really good. Ron is Ron yeah. the pimp. Yeah, he did really good at being the sleazy, sleazy guy. You know, I mean, it, it was it was really good in, in that role. I especially loved 
you know, how kind of nurturing he is to her, of course, when he's wanting to bring her into the business. And then, of course, how quickly he turns on her when, you know, she doesn't want to do it anymore. I mean, his, you know, whole demeanor just, you know, completely changes, you know. Yeah. I mean, of course, we know from the get-go he's a bad guy. But, you know, it's, it's just, it's interesting to watch, you know, like, especially, you know, it, it would stink, I guess, to be in her shoes and see, you know, how deep she really is in this and, 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 and things like that. Because he, you know, of course, they make it, he makes it sound like at first when she's like, you know, do I have to have sex with them? And he's like, you know, that's up to you, you know, and, and, you know, and so it's, it's just these things like that, that he kind of lures her in, but, um, you know, he's, oh. he's totally an awful guy. And then, of course, you know, he doesn't die from getting shot. Um, and, of course, he, when he's testifying against her and the lies that he's just kind of spewing out, I mean, it's just so it's so awful, you know, that he just sits there. Mm-hmm. He does it so easily. Yeah, he does. I think I think Scott Plank is a really, really good actor. And I think he's the standout for me in this film. I always forget when I watch it, when he comes on, I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy this guy is everything he's so <laughs> so good now can i just ask would you would you strip for his character yeah or oh wow okay yeah. i'm gonna i'm keeping it i'm keeping a tally <laughs> does he have to play no. the piano he doesn't have to do anything he just no, no well, he just bring i guess we should brings out the banjo or does a little yeah maybe we should we should revise that question because as a character no i mean no, but Scott Plank. Scott Plank, I guess. for sure. Yeah, I mean he's gorgeous. But um, yeah, you know I say these things jokingly because you know somebody's listening to this like, oh my god, she's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, no, but I mean aside from the fact that he's really good looking, he's an extremely charismatic actor, and um, mm-hmm. he passed away, which I'll talk about in the background, very oh. young, and he didn't do a huge amount of stuff, and that's really sad to me because. I see this performance and I see leading man material. I mean, I feel like this guy could do anything. You know what I mean? There's just something really magnetic about him. It's a shame that he never really got to that level. You know, this guy is so good in this part, you know, I can't take my really is. Yeah. He's wonderful. But I mean, yeah. So like I said, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. You know, I thought it was, um, it, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch. You know, it, it was, uh, you know, I mean, the subject matter is obviously very, you know, serious, but to me, I thought, you know, I guess it was a lighter film than death of a cheerleader. Sure. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really it, is. It yeah. handled it a lot lighter for sure. Yeah. It, but you know, I mean, so ultimately, you know, I mean, um, obviously I, I prefer death of a cheerleader just because it's just one of those, it's, it's almost kind of a nostalgic film for me. Like I said, I watched it the night it aired. So, sure. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely kind of got that going for it. But, no, I mean, I thought this was an awesome double feature. And I'm really glad that we, um, you know, covered both of these. Yay. Well, I'm glad you liked Yay. it. Yep, I did. Like I said, the standout scene for me is the piano scene. Because I just kept thinking, <laughs> calm down, <laughs> mister. Well, I'll be honest. Grip on yourself. I'll be honest, and this is coming later. So, so for people listening, we we got Nate to do this first, and we edited it in later. So we probably have talked. We'll probably talk about this beforehand, even though we're talking about it first here. Um, I don't think any of her Johns are that bad. So, like the first guy that wants to sleep with her, they're having that party, and everybody leaves the party, and then he's like, "All right, it's just you and me now." And she's like, "I don't want to sleep with you, and I don't have to." And then she goes back, and uh, Ron is like, "No, you have to sleep with them," and he talks her into it. And I'm like, "He's really not that bad." you know so i get it i i'm not condoning like oh well it's not that bad to have sex with somebody he's not that bad looking and he's rich or whatever but at the same time in in the scheme of her life as an escort 
she really doesn't have that many horrible guys. None until she gets to the Sunset Boulevard. And it's like... the Yeah, the motel. Yeah, yeah. and so it's like when that guy tells her to strip, he says, I'm not going to touch you. Just take off your clothes. I mean, really, she's not doing anything but being naked. He's not even going to lay a finger on her. So, yeah, it's weird and it's horrible. And I, if I was found myself in a situation like that, I would feel exactly like she did. But a lot of escorts get it way worse than that. You know what I mean? So I feel mm-hmm. like they really handle it with a very light touch in the film. You don't really see a lot of the real trauma that probably happens to a lot of these girls. You know what I mean? So what I'm saying, he's not that bad. What I'm saying is in real life, that would have been like way worse. Yeah. So yeah. Her exploits would have been way worse than what they were is what I'm saying. So she needs to calm down. <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> Joanna. <laughs> So anyway, Nate, I'm glad you liked it. Thank you for coming and doing Death of a Cheerleader. We got a lot out of that. It's going to be really good. Yes. Oh, yeah, that was a really good one. <laughs> we'll have to do more 90s movies. So I think there's a lot of stuff there to, oh, boy. to be seen. Yeah, sorry, Dan. Oh, no, no, I'm I'm in. I'm in. We'll sprinkle it it's in. It's an area I'm not... It's an area I'm not terribly familiar with, so I will I will dive well, in. Well, we'll do The Face of Evil with um, Tracy Gold and your whole world will change. Okay. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So, uh, good night, Nate. And thank you. All right. Good night. Good night, Nate. Thank you guys. Thank you. Feedback time. Yeah. Oh, yes. So we didn't get a huge amount of feedback, which I kind of thought we would, because I thought if we got into the newer TV movies, people would have better memories of them. But uh, we did get some responses on Facebook and Twitter, which I'll go through really quick. They're very brief. Um, Aaron on Twitter wrote, Tori. Myron on Twitter wrote, I remember this one. That's a response to Call Girl. Sue on Facebook. So excited for this. Both are so amazing. Melanie on Facebook wrote, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Coed Call Girl and Death of a Cheerleader are some of the best cheesy movies ever. And then she followed up with, you know my thoughts on this subject. Lisa on mm. Facebook wrote, Tori is an awful actress. Hello, nepotism. If the reviewers thought her CBS movies were bad, they should see what Lifetime has to offer now. Yikes. Not a, Lisa's mm. not a fan. Uh, Jack on Facebook wrote, I watch Coed yesterday i had no idea it was shown on cbs it had nbc written all over it i'm not sure what he meant by that but i love it david on facebook wrote prostituta de noche awesome i have to watch this one so i put up the the spanish artwork for it on our page and i guess he just decided it was the best movie ever we did get one sort of kind of long piece of feedback from our friend vaughn who we do a podcast with called hey, vaughn. podcast mania he also does a podcast called motion picture massacre um it's really fun uh, he wrote, hopefully, I'm sorry, I had to handwrite this down because he sent it like five minutes before we started recording. Hopefully this gets read on the show. I'm not a fan of Tori Spelling. I feel she's middle. She's a middle-of-the-road actress who gave it her all but just didn't have it. Her father was one of the kings of television, and that maybe helped her. All in all, the movies she made are fun, even though they were mostly chick flicks. Love you guys. Keep it up. Thank you, Vaughn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think he kind of said Thanks, what you were saying, Dan. And um, maybe more uh, blatantly, but that like mm-hmm. she's an okay actress, you know, she's capable, but her movies mm-hmm. are still really fun, despite sure. that she's not the yeah. strongest actress. And I, I, I do feel bad. Who was it who really didn't like? Was it Lisa yeah, who really Lisa... didn't like Tori? She, she's going to be angry because I'm announcing that we're doing annual Tori spelling <laughs> episodes on this show. I'm so into that. You don't even know. So next March slash April, we're doing another Tory episode. And Lisa, 
you're going to be pissed at me, but that's just the way it's happening. Well, you that's know, just the way it's I happening. mean, even you were mentioning the nepotism and, and I do think that some people see that for actors like them and, and they don't like it. And if she's not like an Oscar winning actress, then that makes it maybe harder to swallow. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. And some, and also, uh, I don't know Lisa, but, um, also, the '90s TV movies aren't for everybody either. Like they're you, they're like what you were saying about sure. like the quality of the aesthetic is very flat, and so when people mm. say that looks like a TV movie, I think they're usually referring to '90s TV movies and oh. that kind of yeah. non-cinematic quality that they had because they were making less money, so they were putting less money into them, and sure. and so they're not as uh, not that they're not that like Gargoyles is an epic, but it has a very film-like quality to it. Yes, and and then you get to something like Duel, oh, obviously, yeah. which uh, well, you have you have yeah. Steven Spielberg behind the wheel on that one, and so he's even though he's doing it on the cheap, he's got mm-hmm. the desire and he's hungry to do something that's bigger than what he's been handed, and I'm sure or, or think go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, uh, I just I just flashed later into the '70s, like the Battlestar Galactica oh, pilot, sure. which became Battlestar Galactica the movie. And it's gorgeous so, to look at. I saw that in the it theater. Is, it is. And there's oh. only one shot in the special effects where you can kind of tell it's a mat of this ship going across oh, space. Wow. Only, only that one time. Everything else is perfect and beautiful. And even then, it's kind of wonderful to see like the old effect. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's sure, and it's so yeah. beautiful on the big screen. It just plays so well. Yeah, and movies, TV movies uh, from the last two decades, or I guess almost three decades now don't really have that quality. So if people don't like 90s TV movies, I get it. I don't, I mean, I don't agree with them. I like a lot of them, but, um, (laughs) but I also understand that some people, when they watch a film, they want something else and they like a certain aesthetic and that's completely in their right. Um, And so I don't, I don't have a problem with Lisa saying what she's saying. I just don't agree with her, but I understand where it comes from as well. You know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely return to the '90s, and I don't know how modern day we're gonna get. Well, uh, I don't do so much into the 2000s, and I really like to okay. network movies. We may want to venture into sci-fi, and as a matter of fact, I was thinking about doing the first sci-fi original Homewrecker because that might be fun. With maybe the first original mm-hmm. USA movie or something from USA. Oh, wow! Okay. But in general, I mean, my vision of this podcast, <laughs> if I have one, because mm-hmm. it's so haphazard when I. She has one, folks. She has I like. One. She she sent me a twelve page manifesto. <laughs> I like uh, I like the network movies. So we'd probably go sure, not sure. much farther past ninety nine, if ever. Okay. All right. Well, that's your, your that's your book. So that that yeah. works for me, sixty four to ninety nine. Yeah, and there's some other good stuff in there that might be worth, like we may want to do Spring Break Shark Attack. That's two thousand five. Fun. Yeah, it's a good movie. So. But for now, I think, and I also feel like people respond really well to the classics. So for, I do think these are modern Mm. classics, but I think uh, it's important that we try to cover as many of the really popular films. Because I know doing the obscure ones is really fun, but a lot of people don't have uh, that experience with them. So if Mm -hmm. if we do too many obscure ones without the really popular ones, I feel like we might lose the audience. Got it. Do do you want... I was, even though I'm super about obscure movies. Sure. Do you want to? Um, do you, was that all the feedback? That we had? was all the feedback we have. 
Awesome. Do you want to do you want to tell folks what the next episode? Do we know what the next episode is going to be? We, I'm excited. We do. I wanted to make a couple of announcements first. Oh yes. I mean, please. you've already brought I'm up here. the books. So I just want to briefly remind everybody that uh, the book "Are You in the House Alone: A TV Movie Compendium, 1964 to 1999" is currently available through Head Press, which is the publisher. They're a British publisher in hardcover. You can pre-order the paperback. It's super affordable on Amazon. It's due out May 1st. And of course, all dates are subject to change, but it's been that date for a while. So I'm hoping that will be the release date. If uh, you are in London and it's April 20th and you want to go to the horse hospital and listen to me talk about TV movies, I will be there. You can look up the Miskatonic Institute of Horror Studies uh, for more information on that. I can't remember the full title of the program. I should have written it down. But anyway, it's all about horror TV movies. And there's three of us speaking. It's going to be me, Jennifer Wallace, and Kayla Janice. And we're all also in the book, as well as Dan. Uh, join us. I also wanted to briefly mention um, a podcast I've been listening to that I really like called Scripted, the TV writing podcast, which you can find on iTunes, or you can go on the website, which is just scriptedtvpodcast.com. Now, this is run by one of my favorite actors from television tom bray who is probably best known for playing boz on riptide he also was in prince of darkness and the prowler so he did some horror movies and he was on the breaking away tv series and he did a lot of uh, guest shots on television and he ended up becoming a behind the scenes guy and he uh wrote and produced a lot of tv shows he also worked for designing women and um i'm not sure what else he did i was really surprised i don't think i knew all the behind the scenes stuff he did so he has a very 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 new podcast he only has three episodes there the longest one is half an hour he is currently a professor at a college who teaches about uh tv writing and um he's taking these nuggets of his real life experience and his academia and he's putting them in a podcast to help people who are interested in writing for television and it's really good the advice is is really solid and he tells a lot of behind the scenes stories um that are really interesting and he talks a lot about Stephen J Cannell and um designing women and uh it's really interesting he also talks about like like he tells you what he wants you to do and then he gives you an example of what that should be like so like uh like a log line i guess or like a you know a hook for a tv show and he tells you how to write the hook and if you write the hook this way what are the cons of that and if you write the hook this way, what are the cons of that? So he, he lets you weigh like the best ways to like do these like little things you do when you're trying to pitch TV shows and stuff like that. So um, everybody should listen to it. He has a beautiful speaking voice. He's very nice to listen to. He's uh, adorable. I love him. He's a really nice guy. And uh, that's my big shout out for Tom Bray. Again, it's called uh, scripted the tv writing podcast and it is on itunes and he is online i also wanted to thank scott drebbit of the daily dead um i meant to do this a couple months ago he did a, a like a list of the best of for the year and we didn't end up as best podcast but we did get an honorable mention and i thought that was really nice um he writes a little bit about tv from time to time so check him out at the daily dead also johnny larkin uh, who you can follow at J-O-N-N-Y-L-A-R-K-I-N on Twitter, has a podcast called Screaming Queens, which is screaming, then space, Q-U-E-E-N-Z. There is a Scream Queens that's spelled very similar, run by Patrick. That's a pretty good podcast. This is a different one. It's like a round table. It's really fun. Um, they talk about all kinds of horror movies, new movies, old movies, giallo, slashers, video nasties. And they're really, really fun. He gave us a shout out on his last episode. 
and that was really nice. That was for the Possession um, movie. And uh, also Greg Burkhart mentioned my book and my writing at Blumhouse on an article oh, he yes. wrote about uh, the TV series Beasts, which is a British show, which was really, really nice to see because Blumhouse is a, they're an up-and-comer, and, and uh, they're not just up-and-coming, they are here. They made Get Out, which is excellent. And it was really nice to just be mentioned on that website and to have Gregory mention because he's a really great writer. So thank you for that. And now we can talk about the next episode and then I'll give you our contact information. So we, uh, the three of us, Dan, Nate, and myself, have been talking about these two movies for a while. So I thought it would be a good time for us to just finally sit down and do it. And we're going to um, discuss Five Desperate Women and She's Dressed to Kill, which which are two seventies. I don't know. If she's dressed to kill as the proto slasher, but it kind of came out like after Halloween, but before the slasher craze and, uh, five just for women came out in like 71 or 72. So those are two really, really fun movies. I'm not sure we're going to be doing a podcast in April because of my trip to London, but we will be back in May at the latest. So just keep an eye out for us and you can follow us on Twitter at TV mayhem podcast or you can look us up on Facebook at the Made for TV Mayhem show. Or you could always just email us at tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. And I respond to all the emails. So if you have any questions about anything, you can also review us on iTunes or just follow us at one of our social media networks. And we'd love to hear from anybody. It doesn't have to be about the films we're talking about. It could be about any of our past shows or it could be about anything you're interested in talking to us about TV related. Um, if it's not TV movies, Dan will probably know it if it's obscure TV shows. <laughs> and if it's horror related, uh, all of us will probably know about it. One of us yeah. will know. Yeah, <laughs> Somebody can help you. So um, drop us a line and we'll talk to you soon. And I'm going to close out with the end theme to death of a cheerleader. Good night. Awesome. Good night. <laughs>